Beware, spoiler phobes. You've stumbled upon A Storm of Spoilers, a podcast about HBO's Game of Thrones in conjunction with George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series. Now that we're in the final season and well beyond the books, the podcast will include a spoiler section later in the episode that can expand to include any Game of Thrones relevant books, shows, internet extras, special features, teases, trailers, interviews, rumors, production spoilers, guesses, theories, and crackpotitude. We're not ruining, we're enriching. And if that isn't for you, feel free to jump off after the first section. After all, chaos is in the pit. It's a ladder. One of two things will happen. Either the dead will defeat the living, in which case all our troubles come to an end, or life will win out. And what then? Don't fight in the north, or the south. Fight every battle, everywhere, always. Your mind, everyone is your enemy, everyone is your friend. Every possible series of events is happening all at once. Live that way, nothing will surprise you. Everything that happens will be something that you've seen before. Hello and welcome to A Storm of Spoilers. My name is Dave Gonzalez and I have not read any of the books in George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. My name is Joanna Robinson and I've read every book in George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. You didn't say series, Dave! Sorry, the series. And I'm Neil Miller and I've read all the books in George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series. And I'm here to report that no matter what I say on the rest of this episode, I still like the books. Um... Uh, the only reason I note that is because the, the difference between this intro and the Cast of Kings intro is you say series and Dave Chen doesn't. So it's like, I know which podcast I'm on. If like some, otherwise I have no S- clue. Slowly the Daves are just becoming a three eyed <laughs> raven of Dave and will just be one Dave that, you know, represents the, excellent journalism and, uh, hawking boner pills on podcasts. What it really is is that the Daves have, the Dave has three heads. So it's, it's Chen. Gonzalez and Ehrlich. That's true. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah Ehrlich and I are freaky Fridaying on uh, a lot of opinions this week. It's been interesting, but none of you guys care because you're listening to Storm of Spoilers for Season 8, Episode 3, The Long Night, a.k.a. Big Battle Episode, a.k.a. Super Important for the mega arc of the story, like everything is here in the final season of Game of Thrones. Our podcast name is Storm of Spoilers. Uh, we may not be as good at them as we have been previous seasons, <laughs> but we will still have a, a spoiler section that will involve some little tidbits we might know, or this week, debating whether we know anything at all. That will be at the end of the podcast, after a little speech from Euron Greyjoy. Then you'll be in the spoiler section. Before that, we will only be talking about things up through the first 70 episodes of Game of Thrones. That's what we get to cover. And... The Song of Ice and Fire series, and everything we said on this podcast, including live shows we've done at the thing called Con of Thrones. It's a Game of Thrones convention. There's another one coming up after the final season this July 12th through 14th in Nashville. If you use promo code at Storm when you buy your tickets, you'll get $5 off, and then you'll get to come see us and some of the cast and crew talk about making all of this amazing dragon fighting and fireside talking. Uh, also, while you're, uh, we're telling you about cool extra things you could get by listening to our podcast, if you, uh, become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash storm of spoilers, 
you get bonus podcasts. Uh, one level gives you a Monday bonus podcast. One level gives you a Monday bonus podcast and a Thursday bonus podcast. But if you just in for free, uh, you are listening to this podcast. And you could leave us reviews on iTunes. Joanna, did we get any reviews this week? Boy, howdy, did we. Um, oh, oh, no. no, no. <laughs> Is that a good boy howdy? <laughs> no, we just got a lot. Thanks, guys. Oh, okay, uh, okay. oh good. This first one comes from uh, someone in our Slack, and I feel like I have to read it, even though it's a lot of inside baseball. Um, so one of our patrons, um, Baja Cobra, or as uh, Dave likes Baja to call Cobra. Him, Baja Cobra. <laughs> Uh, the review is titled Kudos to Steve, five stars. So Steve and I had a bet where we tried to guess the name of episode three of season eight. Steve was correct in guessing the long night while I predicted it would be winter's fall. Honestly, once the premiere was called Winterfell, I stopped feeling great about my choice. That I'm giving him the kudos he deserved. Uh, I may have really not enjoyed the episode, but I enjoy with Steve that Steve is a smart lad who predicted the title correctly. Good job, Steve. Baja Cobra. So I think that was like a bet. Like the loser had to post a five star review and talk about how great the other one was. And I love a bet. What a fantastic bet. I love a bet. Um, love a good bet around here. Dave won our death, our Deadpool actually that we did on in the storm section last week. We Uh tried also, uh, uh, this week, this weekend, Disney surpassed my gross score for their entire year. So don't feel too bad. Oh, I feel great about the fact that I'm going to win that bet, (laughs) but. But, uh, but Dave won the Deadpool. There were no stakes on that bet. Okay. Uh, we got a couple more reviews really quickly. One is in a Scottish accent. So let's see if I feel good about doing it. Um, have I ever told you guys my phrase? I think I'm sure I have my phrase for getting into a Scottish accent. No. Well, uh, maybe <clears throat> you have a, I like that hat mate for uh-huh. Scottish. So, All right. fi- uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> I like that hat mate. All right. So- I like that hat mate. <laughs> so it's five stars. Direwolf09, great podcast. And then it starts with Scottish accent, please. So this is a request, not something I've just decided to do. The phrase goes like this. Uh, I'll say it in non-accented. You turn right at the light and you might pick a fight. And so you say it like this. You turn right at the light and you might pick a fight. Um, and Was well, Gerard Butler on this thing? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> turn right at the light and you might pick a fight. Great job on Avengers Endgame. I mostly agree with you. And where we disagree, you made me think. I subscribed to Vanity Fair online just to read Joanna's articles after the long night. Joanna, do you sleep on Sunday nights? Looking forward to Dave and Neil's interpretation. horrible. (laughs) (laughs) I think it started, like, not terrible and has nosedived into terrible. And slowly turned into a bear. (laughs) Ah, wheel. I just decided to throw that in there. <laughs> Looking forward, forward to Dave and Neil's interpretations of how dark, literally, long night was. Keep up the great work. Um, I just thought I'd throw like a lot of burr on it at the end just to get through. Anyway, um, that's an embarrassing accent thing. I haven't done that for a while. So if you're new to the podcast is a thing I used to do. You can maybe <laughs> see why I stopped doing it. Um, <laughs> Anyway, we got a couple more, but I think I've kept you long enough. <laughs> Thank you guys for all your reviews. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Really quickly. I'm going to do one more. It's very, very fast. Uh, Ranch Dressing 123 says, For the Throne, five stars. It says, Love the show. Joanna, do you feel more okay with the hashtag For the Throne promo now, LOL? Can't wait to hear you discuss the episode. Yeah, and this I've said this elsewhere, but I will say it for the record here. Uh, Joanna was an asshole and an idiot and wrong. <laughs> 
and the hashtag for the throne is apparently very accurate to the season. And I regret all the time I wasted railing against it. The end. Really, what you had to do, hashtag for the throne, was admit that you were wrong. And now you can have it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> P.S. Who do you think is the worst? Can like so? I saw a, a poll where Arya was coming in as number three to sit on the Iron Throne, and I think Arya is one of the worst people I could think of to sit on. Like Arya Stark, leader? No, like great. Yeah, no. Arya Stark, crazy assassin, fantastic. Are we in the? Are we in the podcast now? Or are we? Oh, fine, I'll hold this. Because if we're what? in the podcast now, we should talk about it. But if we're not in the podcast, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, this is the podcast, yes. Go. God damn it. <laughs> well, we'll talk well, more about this week's... It, so. <laughs> we'll talk more about this week's episode after this break. This mom, for the win moment, brought to you by the books, where Mother's Day flowers your mom deserves are 20% off. Who loves those moms out there? Oh my God. I've got some great mom memories. Are you ready? I remember this time that my mom literally had her throat slit. I remember this time when my mom had to be smuggled underneath a city and then gave birth to me in a sewer, and then I became a shadow. There was also this other time that my mom, like, took me into this throne room. We sat on the throne, and, like, she was going to feed me something. I don't know what it was. And then all of a sudden, Grandpa rode in and interrupted us. Um, But that was a great mom moment. Really, really fun time. Yeah, there was also a time where my mom took my two siblings and I north, like way north, mm. and we lost somebody. Mm. It was it was pretty bad. Uh, Only- at that moment, I was like, I should send my mom flowers. <laughs> I remember the time that my mom blew up my wife and all my in-laws, and then I threw myself <laughs> out a window. <laughs> You're just doing Tom and once. <laughs> Tom had a rough time with his mom. <laughs> they were very look. close, and then it ended very poorly. Well, you know what? You, you know why? Not enough boobs. <laughs> and I'm going to show mom my appreciation with Mother's Day flowers from the books. You know about the books, right? That's short for bouquets. The books are picked fresh and delivered right to mom, so they last weeks and not days. The books even has farms located on the side of a volcano that produce flowers so gorgeous, mom will post pics and brag about you. And books cut out the middleman, so you'll get amazing flowers at an amazing price. Send the Mother's Day flowers your mom deserves from the books. Order today and get an extra 20% when you enter code STORM. That's books.com, B-O-U-Q-S, and enter STORM to save an extra 20% off books.com. My mom's really going to love the volcano part because she's Mm -hmm. Valerian. (laughs) And we're back. We are time. It's time to talk about the log night. Uh, Neil, every week you put up a poll for your send, send Raven. What are we discussing to kick off this week? Well, we're talking about heroism this week, obviously. A bunch of heroic deaths. Uh, so this week's poll was, we just kept it very simple. Which of these four characters met their end in the most heroic fashion during the long night? Uh, so the four that we picked for the Twitter poll were Barrick, Jorah, Theon, and Liana Mormont. Um, obviously, for the purposes of our discussion, we can choose anybody if we want. So let's start with ours. I will start with mine um, by revealing that this person 
this character finished dead last in the poll, but deserves a little bit of recognition, uh, which is Beric Dondarrion, who Beric the Barricade barricaded off Oh, the oh, oh, Beric the Barricade. I, I stole this from somebody on Twitter. Oh. <laughs> but they were like, Hodor held the door, Beric barricaded the hallway. Anyway. Oh, I heard someone say Beric held the, held the hall. <laughs> 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 um, but I will say that, uh, you know, it's interesting. He's obviously not the biggest death in this episode, but a really great act of heroism for him to go out on. And, uh, you know, he pretty much saved everybody by saving Arya. So good for Beric. So that would be my vote. But, uh, who you guys got? Uh, Dave. So I also picked somebody on the poll this week, but also will reveal they did not win because I'm going to pick Theon, who came close, but is not the ultimate winner of our poll. Um, I think Theon is, uh, an example, at least now three episodes from the end of Game of Thrones of uh, like the the most successful completed character arc. Uh, I have some mm-hmm. quibbles with everyone else who's died along the way. They, oh, no, that's not true. Successful completed character arc that wasn't completely based on the, uh, you know, rocks of the book. We got to see this one all the way through past where he was in book knowledge. I think everyone like leading up to like, I'm not going to like quibble that I didn't like Rob's character arc just because he made like a dumb decision to marry somebody else that's in character. But Theon was super satisfying, especially since uh, I could have like used less of him this week and probably still would have been okay with it. But just to get that extra moment uh, or actually two moments where he gets absolved by Bran, uh, I really kind of closed the last open doors on Theon, who I thought was just going to accept that Bran was a different person and, you know, defending Winterfell was enough. But he got, no, he got for- forgiven by everybody. Theon's, Theon had a whole arc and, uh, you know, it deserved his maybe overly long death scene. <laughs> uh, Joanna? Um, I picked Melisandra because uh, in many ways I feel like this is Melisandra's episode. This is uh charisma and hooten i always you mean it's the lord of lights episode sure um which religion is right it's definitely a roller (laughs) which religion is right (laughs) um but yeah melisandre roller is on in there and she rules the whole time and she activates Arya, and then she gets to rest, and she's done i mean that's a she activates instant kill we haven't seen a one episode arc this good since Carsey. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm really yeah, into Mel- Melisandre in this episode. Uh, and I mean, I think just like Dave said with Theon, Melisandre, that's a, that's another really sort of complex arc that feels like it's come full circle, you know, because about, because of how wrong she's been <laughs> for a lot of stuff. She finally comes through, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So good I saw her. a lot of questions about her, her dangling statements about her purpose, but we we could get to those later on in the storm. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like, uh, she really gets all the, uh, the Jedi moments in this week's episode, Mm. which is pretty sweet. Yep. Um, now doesn't the Night King have a Jedi moment? Cause he's got that Luke dust, the shoulder, dust, the brush, the dust off your shoulder (laughs) moment. (laughs) 
I guess that's a new Jedi moment, but a yes. last Jedi moment. <laughs> Just in terms of uh, the Jedi being like the inter- leaving out the Clone Wars animated series. Joanna, you tipped it off. Sorry, here we go. Leaving out the Clone Wars animated series, <laughs> most Jedi just show up to do like the incredibly badass things that you need them to do in the third act. Uh, Melisandre was that, but all the way through. Um, much. To your chagrin, I'm sure she did not make the poll. <laughs> she also didn't win the poll, but that's fine. She did great. Um, the Theon Greyjoy would finish second, thirty percent. Jorah Mormont finished third, twenty four percent. Number one was Lyanna Mormont. The 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 fifteen hundred plus people that voted in our poll, uh, at which you know what, it's hard to argue with that one. She goes out doing some pretty fun stuff. So Lyanna Giants Bane. Yeah, um, the giant slayer, Leona Mormont. Um, so yeah, so great, great job, everyone. We did um, it. did you? I'm sure you did because I think you probably have an alert on your phone. But did you see that Christopher Have you um posted a photo of him with with Bella Ramsey on Instagram? Oh, I did not. It's That's super, a fun thing I'm going to do. It's super cute, <laughs> and the caption's really cute too. I'm going to read it for everyone because it's fun to read Instagram captions Excellent. on a podcast. He wrote, Giant Killer and Mr. Giant Babe. What a blast to work with Bella Ramsey, a super talented, hardworking, and fearless actor and warrior. Hashtag Game of Thrones. Hashtag Battle of Winterfell. And it's them like covered in their scrapes and bruises, just like grinning at the camera. It's very cute. So, oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. 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 That's great. Giant Slayers. Giant Slayers all around. Um, okay. On to some questions since this is Send a Raven. First one, uh, I got both of these from Twitter this week. I'm trying to mix it up. This one came from Colin at, at C. Sandberg on Twitter. Uh, the question goes as follows. When Melisandre left Dragonstone last season, did she say she was going to get an army to help fight the White Walkers, or was that just fan conjecture slash hopes? Uh, I would like to add to this. What Do you guys have theories as to what <laughs> Melisandre did? Uh like story wise to stick with the Jedi theme, she went to Dagobah and figured out the thing that she needed to figure out to become the Jedi she needed to be. I don't know what that thing is and I don't think we're going to figure it out. Yeah. She definitely didn't stick around long enough to tell us. Right. I mean, I would love to meet the Melisandre Yoda though. That would be fantastic. It's probably really ugly and like giving out little glowy gems and like Gollum, Gollum like things. Um, like you get to solve my riddle and you get a gem that makes you immortal. I um I okay, yeah. I think I think she she wherever she went, when well, she said she was going to Volantis, right? And so mm-hmm. wherever she went, um I think she came back with the certainty of knowing that like Arya was the one to do the thing. And that she mm. needed to like do it. She whatever. went to go look at like a better fire. Yeah, or like yeah. confer with some other people and like, what does your fire say? Okay, because my fire She's says. Like, the- oh. Can I watch your? You have different yeah. settings on your fire, don't you? I'd do like you have the? Do you have the contrast up on here? <laughs> oh, you can actually see the visions in your fire. Oh, Interesting. I've Interesting. been fucking up this whole time. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. So she comes back with the search. She does not say she's getting an army. That was fan conjecture. And it would have been cool to see. Um, I think. But, you know, it's fine that it was just Melisandre. She did plenty. Um, and she just said, I think when she left Varys, you know, she said she's going to Volantis and then she had to come back to Westeros to die. 
um, and that he did too. <laughs> great, great <laughs> news. Um, and I just think it is like they gave the episode a lot. They, um, there was a lot of Davos stares that Melisandre shots in this episode. I'm a little bummed that Varys didn't get to see that Melisandre was there, right? He was already crip cowering when she rolled up. So like, yeah, he didn't get to be like, Oh no, the Red Priestess. <laughs> Cause I really like when Varys <laughs> like gets freaked out by seeing Red Priestess. So anyway, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, great. She, I, I will say this, the army of red priests showing up is still something that lives in my heart. Mm-hmm. That would have been fun. Uh, anyway, on to the next question. I think this is a big one. We got this from a bunch of different places, but I chose, uh, Martha at Martha Platt on Twitter, who very simply put what happened to Azor a high. And I think this probably goes to prophecies more in general, which I've been thinking about a lot. And, I don't know. I obviously there's a lot of stuff that the show can just be like that didn't matter cuz there's nothing to refute it at this point. But also I do think there's uh, something to the way George R R Martin has always been like well these maesters you just never know what they were drinking that day. Um so it feels like it feels like a there's like a point to the prophecies not mattering potentially and I just wonder I I always wonder if that will translate to the books. And I was curious as to what you guys thought. Um, we'll start with Joanna this time. Sorry. Uh, well, maybe, um, I think what, what, um, David Benioff made clear in the post episode interview was that like the decision to have Arya be the one to kill the night King was theirs, not George's, mm-hmm. um, a decision they made three years ago. So it does not line up with like the, when they consulted with George on the end. um, if I had to guess of how I think it plays out in the books, like I think probably Arya is the one who, because like why else do you have an assassin if not to assassinate, right? So I would guess that Arya is the one to kill the Night King, but like that at le- that John and Daenerys will probably play a more active role in it all rather than like I was busy standing out on the battlefield and I was busy screaming at undead dragons. You know what I mean? Like um uh the show has never used the phrase Azora High, which is interesting. They use a prince that was promised, a princess that was promised, but they never said it's sort of like Valencar, the like the Cersei death prophecy. They've never mentioned that on the show. So like fans are willing, you know, welcome to chase their tails on that as long as they want, but it's not show canon. So like you can't get mad if it doesn't happen, you know? So Azora High is not something they've said on the show. So like, and, and, they just were never as specific as George was about what the prophecy meant on the show. And so I think this concept of like, um, the prince or princess who was promised was actually sort of like everyone working in consort. Um, wait, wait, wait. So the real Azura High were the friends we made along the way? <laughs> that's right. That's the story I heard. <laughs> and those friends include the giant ginger guy who's still alive. <laughs> I'm so happy for you, buddy. Genuinely, I really am. I really am. I'm not shitting you. I'm very happy. I'm happy for, for all of us, really, because we get to go on living in a world where Tormund's still here. So um, it's great. Um, I do think that there is potential, and this would sort of be a George R. R. Martin thing, to... It's, it's almost like the theme of sort of missing the forest through the trees on the great war, how it's like everybody was fighting for all the kingdoms and no one figured out until it was almost too late about the white Walker thing. There's also this sort of constant trope of like prophecy and destiny. And um, it kind of feels game of thronesy for that not to 
for the prophecy not to be like a real thing. Like there is magic, but it's like Game of Thrones does sort of have this slightly more subversive streak to it. So I think it's possible. Um, but then again, Jonah's right. It's like the show canon is very different now. Um, all right. So Azor Ahai lives on in our hearts, I guess. Mr. Neil, Mr. Neil, I was showering in my bucket this morning and noticed that my hairline is receding. I think if the stress of uh, this long night. Well, Sir Dave, it is true, based on my scrolls, that 66% of men lose their hair by age 35, which is terrifying, um, especially because we're all going to die soon. Uh, thing is, when you start to notice hair loss, it's already too late. So, oh, no! Yeah. Oh. Sorry. It was like, you know how we just noticed that the army of the dead is massive and it's right, like, 100 feet that way? Oh! It's bad. It's bad. Oh! So what my we, heart, my hair! What we should work on is the easier solution, which is to keep the hair you have instead of having to try and replace the hair you've lost. I have grown quite fond of it. Yeah. So if that hairline is slowly moving backward, uh... You know, like, uh, do we have any bald spots yet? Uh, I mean, there's a, a slight one. I like to think it gives me character. Well, if you're looking to avoid that, uh, what I want to make sure is that you don't turn to any weird solutions or avoid it altogether. Uh, we should we should use science. I'm a maester. I've made this paste of mule urine yeah, and, don't. and no. gray mud. No, we need oh. to get you... Get, take this device. I know it's very fancy. Uh, go to fourhims.com. It's a one-stop shop for hair loss, skincare, sexual wellness for men, just like yourself, Sir Dave. Ooh, sexual wellness. Yeah. That yeah. also that also burns sort of low in the long night, the, the fires, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, we got to, you know, we just need to keep our energy up, uh, stay hydrated. Um, but here's what hymns can do. Hymns can connect you with real doctors, with medical grade solutions to treat hair loss uh, it's real, or it's well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions that'll help you keep your hair. There's no snake oil. There's no, what did you say? Uh, mule urine and mule gray urine. mud. Yeah, yes. we're not using mule urine anymore. Uh, His there's name also, is Charles the Mule. There's also no waiting room. There's no awkward in-person doctor visits like this one that we're having oh, right yeah. now. Oh, yeah. I could have avoided this. Yeah, Excellent. <laughs> You can save hours by going to fourhims.com. It's so easy. You just answer a few quick questions. Doctor will review your situation as I am, as your maester, and they will prescribe you some things that will help. Uh, and they will be shipped directly to you. This is assuming we don't all get killed in the next hour. Oh! Our listeners get a trial month of hymns for just $5 a day right now while supplies last. See website for full details and safety information. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or pharmacy. Go to forhymns.com slash storm. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash storm. Forhymns.com slash storm. Don't be like Sir Dave. Oh, Charles, come here. We have to get back to last heart. And we're back. Don't worry, you're still in the calm. We're just here to talk about Season 8, Episode 3, The Long Night, without any spoilers. But luckily, there was a lot happening in this super-sized episode. We have some talking points that are coming here. Let's start at the top. Melisandre shows up, 
and then uses her new fire magic to light the Dothraki swords. And you're like, hey, awesome. This might like be something I could see as we're like getting this like afraid of the dark feeling and as everything's closing in and right as you're like, oh man, ghost is withdraw. This is going to be awesome. You realize that part of the charge is actually going to be off screen with this very effective, but also sort of disappointing in the sense that it's ghost and brown people uh, charge into uh, the night where they hit the army of the dead and we get a Jamie Lannister. O face. This is actually like, super at this point in the episode later on we'll get to where i think it gets complicated in terms of seeing what's happening in cinematography and if anyone's to blame for that but i think this first opening is super effective in the moment and moment to moment and building this sort of tension uh then to the point of like no score slowly watching these fire things go out and then the light being reduced to nothing is so much better than what I thought we were going to get immediately, which and then we eventually get later on, which is like the fire ant uh, surge of the dead. Neil, mm-hmm. it, what what would you have done differently in this opening, if anything? Um, you know, this is a really tough one because yeah, we are witnessing pretty much the genocide of the Dothraki. Not great, Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. I actually really like this as sort of a, a fun sort of subversive moment, because if you think about what was your mindset going into this episode, it was probably, if it was anything like me, holy shit, everyone's about to die. Right. Um, and they set up this first sequence where you follow Sam, and it's sort of about Sam's anxiety, and then we sort of it just sort of sets the lay of the land. But then when Melisandre shows up, you get the score, like the a more optimistic score kicks in and they have this, that really cool shot from behind Sansa and Arya where the, the rocks are all going up in, in flames from left to right, which I thought was super cool. And it almost gives you this sense like, all right, we're in this fight. Like we, the Dothraki yeah, maybe you could win this. Thing. Yeah. The Dothraki are killers, man. Everybody's afraid of these dudes. Like these are the, this is the great cavalry. Um, then when I saw them start charging, I was like, okay, I see where this is going. These guys are all dead. Um, cause like as a battle tactic, I'm not hundred percent sure it's a good move, but I don't know a hundred percent. I don't know a lot of yeah, things about I mean, battle uh, tactics. Uh, what, what else do you do with horsemen? I guess in a defense. Of yeah. A city? Which, I don't know. You put them off to the side and have them pincer move or whatever. Pincer! Uh, Stannis. Yeah. They never learned anything from Stannis. They didn't learn anything from Stannis. Stannis and Knights of the Veil vale did it. They love those over overhead shots. Right. Well, I guess we why wasn't see... the cavalry like ha- hanging out behind the castle? Someone only come in later. Someone sent me like a terrible MS Paint thing from Reddit <laughs> that has the cal- <laughs> the Dothraki cavalry hanging out on the back of the southern gate. Uh, mm-hmm. waiting to come around, like, and so, so maybe you, that is a better idea. You draw the dead in, and then you hammer them from the side, rather than then send again, your Dothraki into the dark. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting that it's like we've gathered all of Westeros's Avengers together in Winterfell, and none of them are actually very good, like tacticians. Except maybe the guy they put in the crypts. But even he has had some big mistakes lately. So I don't know what this was. I, my assumption is that it's like, we just need to throw everything we have at this wall of dead bodies that's flying at us. So, 
but uh, it creates a very eerie moment and creates it's a moment that creates stakes for the characters, maybe not for us, but for the characters. Like Sansa sees it, Arya sees it, everybody else who maybe has not seen how the dead operate yet, and it's like, oh shit, this is going to go terribly. Well, it's also a very. I don't want to not throw to Joanna, but well, <laughs> no, 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 go ahead, Joanna. <laughs> it's also a very um, Battle of the Bastards moment, right? Like in terms of the Dothraki are Daenerys's Rickon, so like absolutely, the yeah. d- d- she sees the Dothraki going, getting killed, getting genocided, and she's like, "Oh shit, my bad. <laughs> Those are my people. Uh, I'm gonna go charge in." And John's like, "But the plan," and she's like, "F the plan, full speed ahead." Um, so John's like, you know, "No one. Do- Why would you do this?" I can't I- understand this logic. <laughs> no one's ever done this before. Except- Haven't you seen every Game of Thrones battle episode? We have to do the plan towards the end of the episode. I do. Um, the one thing that bothers me about this, well, the the one thing that really bothers me is they they all have their Arrocs, which are not Valerian steel and not uh, dragon glass, as far as I understand, unless mm-hmm. they're supposed to be dragon glass, and I just didn't. So it's like, how are they? They're just going to kill them with normal swords. <laughs> Well, don't they have, um, I mean, they have their Arrocs and it uh-huh. looks amazing to have them on fire, right? But I yeah. think they, oh, don't they also have like dragon glass, like daggers and stuff like that? I guess. I'm just, I'm honestly a little disappointed in the Dothraki. I mean, I think the Dothraki are a little disappointed in how the yeah. show treated the Dothraki. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a disappointing situation. They all sailed around. across the sea. They were the first Dothraki to do so. To get wiped out they... in the first four minutes of battle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Woof. Um, like, charge into the darkness. We, we, yeah. Oh, anyway, it, but visually, like, that's, that's the whole thing of this episode for me. Logistically, uh, falls apart. Visually, chef's kiss like the 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 overhead of the of the fiery horde riding into the darkness great and then that that visual of them getting snuffed out also great and the visual of all those rocks going up in the first place great and it looked practical to me like i don't understand it it all looked like those rocks were definitely on fire uh like practically actually on fire and um i just can't imagine the day where they had to, you know, because we've seen the behind the scenes of Spoils of War where, you know, you watch those like horsemen training to do all their horse parkour, as Neil called it, and stuff like that. But like, okay, do that. I mean, they're not doing fancy jobs stuff like that, but do that, but with a flaming right. rock in your hand. <laughs> I mean, it looked amazing. Yeah, it looked the charge. It was awesome. I also like, especially the beginning of this episode, where... And we're going to talk, I imagine, a lot about darkness in this, because it's a big theme. But I like the idea of using encroaching black, like dead black, as instead of CGI goop army at first. Um, because I was, one of the things I was really worried about is like, this is this is going to turn into World War Z like super quick. With right, all right, these right. dead people. That's what I was expecting. So I, in, I actually really did appreciate the parts that people are like, I can't see anything. There are certain sections of this opening segment of this opening part of the episode where, um, we're not supposed to see anything. And that's sort of the point. And it's, and it's like the darkness is just overwhelming them. And I think it makes some of those shots where you see like from behind the unsullied as the army's coming in and just like mowing them down, uh, very, interesting because it's like 
we're sort of, we talked about this in the last couple episodes about how some of the cinematography has started to make us feel more claustrophobic on purpose. This is sort of, to me, the culmination of that is this battle is all about the darkness encroaching on the living who are holed up in Winterfell. And, uh, I really like the way they started it and, you know, it gets a little messier later, but, um, I liked it and I like the storm clouds too. Yeah. That's why I wanted to pivot to. So Neil was saying earlier that like, uh, that's sort of the first look that Sansa and Arya get at the dead is these Dothraki torches going out or fire or whatever. Anyway, but then the, I think the interesting thing for me in the episode was when the cloud starts rolling in, that's the first time I think Arya is scared by what's actually happening. So it seems like, you know, we get these, they're scared, obviously, at the beginning, but they're both on the wall. We get the lighting up of the sword. It's like, maybe we could win. The sword guys disappear. It's still not enough to make Arya be like, I need to get my sister below the crypts. But then when like these giant storm clouds start rolling in, almost with like tentacles coming in before them, or like um bows of ships almost there it's like it's not like a wall it's like a weird thing reaching for you that's the thing that she realizes she's dealing with something that you know she doesn't have a equivalent for i mean like she's probably seen big armies but she hasn't seen anything like that the threat is so wildly existential like it's so yeah. big that it's and- it's uh it's a great way to sort of put it into perspective really quickly the first time i watched the episode i like made note of that because not knowing how the episode was going to end with aria i'm like this is interesting because we don't we haven't seen aria scared since she's returned to westeros she's always just been very on top of her shit not anymore nope Mm. all right so the storm enters in dragons are deployed and the uh, walkers start uh, tearing into our heroes. Uh, and then Dolorous Ed gets it first. This yeah, I, who, had, who had Dolorous Ed in the first to be dead pooled? Uh, Damn. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> um, but yeah, this, was the, this is where I start having uh, issues with how the episode was constructed. Because I agree, Neil, with everything that you said about like the encroaching blackness standing in for like a cgi army is good and i like the like basis idea that there are monsters in the dark and i like everything where um gray worm is realizing like the totality of the threat as he's uh you know protecting the retreat but there are there start to be sequences here when the white walker has actually hit the line where we're doing things like cutting of a wide shot of brianne yelling into a close shot of her yelling while the yell's happening. Like, those sorts of things start happening where I start losing geography of who I'm looking at. Uh, like, I can't tell Gendry and Pod apart because of silhouette, which isn't necessarily bad, but I think it starts with the fog of war because I don't, I don't know what it is. Like, I, this sort of editing isn't unlike, uh, Sapochnik episodes or even other, like, game of thrones episodes so i don't know why i feel like just starting it here and then keeping it going every time we're cutting back to these characters we're also cutting back to the same style of editing might have started to like wear on me as time went on yeah i mean there is a lot of like the army of the dead is basically swallowing them (laughs) right and i think some of the coolest before everybody get before the retreat is complete i think some of the coolest shots are the overhead shots there's one of like the retreat running and the unsullied closing formation 
as the retreat runs behind them, which I thought was like super cool. Like there's these big or wider battle shots. But yeah, when you get in deep, I almost think there was too many of our named hero characters outside the walls. Like, because it's just too many people to keep track of, you know? Like, well, and they also, they also retreat so quickly. Like, it's it just like, the yeah, whole I mean, it idea goes them, so poorly. Um, <laughs> um, Jason Concepcion of, of, of the Ringer Binge Mode fame, um, uh, posted, I don't know if you saw his like tweet about like John's various battle plans. Yeah, and John's like, a really bad commander. <laughs> how bad they are, but one of them is yeah. like, build your fire trench behind your army and it's like yeah, yeah why why weren't they behind the fire trench to start with anyway uh i well, don't we don't get the great yeah, fire tr- where he sacrifices like all of his army <laughs> does that whole phalanx of of unsullied go down for melisandre I mean, like the trench yeah Wow. But I mean, that's, I, it's really interesting because you do get into a situation where it's like they are literally murdering all of the people of color on the battlefields. Oh. But when you think about tactically, the Unsullied are the most fearless, the strongest. Uh, they are the best people to stand there and defend. It's just. They, pr- they protected that day and retreat. I mean, too, and they did. All of our favorites got back in. Right. And, and you think about like the sacrifice that I, I'm, feel slightly better about the unsullied than i do about the dothraki <laughs> because the unsullied at least they went out in a in a very unsullied way um i don't know but uh i yeah, think so we, they, i don't think we lost all of the unsullied i think no there's, still I, some. I, there's definitely some that make it but there's a large you know i think it's meant to be a big moment where gray worm is like shit i gotta close this gate yeah no gray worm like doing the whole like uh, i'm gonna create a pathway for melisandre and that was like actually strangely efficient storytelling you know where like mm-hmm. uh they like share a greeting yo are you from out of town i'm from out of town too sort of thing um yeah. <laughs> and then like oh, we cool Okay. And then you get a good shot of Grey Worm taking in her lighting up the Arachs. So like him sort of recognizing that this is a skill she has. And then him like seeing that the Well, tr- she, he 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 gets like the blessing, the Vala Margulis Vala de That's what blessing. I that's what I meant by we're both from out of town. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, makes sense. Diana was asking me, she's like, why did they say that to each other? I was like, because they're both from out of town. <laughs> like, that's the out of town <laughs> greeting. Um, like, uh, white people, am I right? Is basically what that, that means. Um, anyway, so yeah. And then, and then he like sees the trenches not being lit and he's like, ah, Melisandre. And they do that all without like, without any words other than Valor Margulis Valadoirs. And that's, that's pretty, that's pretty good. Like in a, an episode that I think let us down in a few storytelling aspects, that's a, that's a good storytelling beat landed. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, question, uh, does it is, okay. So Melisandre shows up. She's like, I'm going to be, she tells Davos, don't worry. Don't bother executing me. I'm going to be dead before the dawn. Um, if we're assuming she knows what she knows and not just uh, like how much does she know? Cause she seems pretty panicked that the prayer isn't working for a period of time here. Is this like the final, the final sign to Melisandre that she's on? Like, is this the height of fire magic that I don't know about? Yeah. I think, I mean, her whole storyline since, I don't know what, since Shireen basically has been about her doubting, so it's, and I think it's kind of like the brand thing 
I don't know, this is maybe me giving the show too much credit and allowing them to wave stuff away. But it's like, Melisandre knows what she thinks is going to happen. She knows what she thinks she needs to do, or at least what she's interpreted from the flames. Um, but I don't think she knows it's going to work until it until it works. You know, like the Jon Snow thing. Like, she she pr- was pretty sure that it didn't work when she walked out of the room. And then he wakes up a couple minutes later. So I think it's one of those situations where it's like, she's like, yeah, I need to go like this trench. And she's not 100% sure it's going to work until it actually works. Right, but she's like, who else? Certainly like, not the guy yeah, with I the mean, dragon. No one else is going to light this thing the trench. under. Okay, so someone yeah. someone has come up. I've complained about John just like sitting on his dragon for a while now. <laughs> yeah. And a few podcasts. And someone came up with some answers for me. Number one, they think that John is there because that was actually what he was supposed to do, which is sort of perch there and guard the god's wood. Um, yeah, which I, sense. I need to see a map, but I believe that that could probably be true that he's like got his eye on brand. But if that's the case, I would love a shot, a POV shot of John on the dragon watching the godswood. Like that would have solved that for me. The mm-hmm. other, the other suggestion is that Rhaegal is so injured, which we know Rhaegal is quite injured. His, his wing is like, it has holes in it. That Rhaegal is so injured that like, he just needs to take a beat and sit there. But like, if that's the case, I need to get a shot of John, like clocking that. And I just need some sort of check in on John once he lands Rhaegal on the rampart <laughs> to explain why he then just fucking sits there when they're like, light the trench. And right. He just that's like, it's weird. Has it's like... this dragon flamethrower and he just sits there and I don't get it. So he's yeah. sitting there and I, I assume the same thing. I assume that he was sitting there because his thing was to guard Bran and he's like, well, fuck if Daenerys is not going to follow the plan. I need to at least. And. But yeah, then when Davos is like, she can't see us, I was like, yeah, but there's a guy sitting like a hundred feet to your left on a literal dragon. Yeah. Why can't he see you? Yeah. So. Or just no, be, be the commander of the army and know the plan. You know what, Neil? This mm-hmm. is making me real anxious. <laughs> <laughs> like how maybe do you it's do- not gonna go so well. No, like how like do you maybe how do you, it's not gonna go so well. How do you deal with that level of anxiety when you feel that anxious? No, we all need someone to talk to, especially when like the battle plans are going poorly. Um and you know, a person who can support us through like uh the encroaching army of the dead, or if you forgot to learn how to make your dragon breathe fire, or uh, you know, whatever it happens to be. The everyday you know, the everyday ups and downs of life that you we all to put armor on yourself or your dragon. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Maybe maybe I'm also stuck on my dragon for a period of time, so I need a mobile solution yeah. to my anxiety. Yeah. That's that's top priority. Plus you spent all your money on grain, so you need something affordable. Talkspace online therapy makes taking care of your mental health more affordable and convenient than ever before. Simply provide your preference for therapy and Talkspace will match you with one of 4,000 plus therapists the very same day. Send your therapist unlimited text, audio, picture, or video message from anywhere at any time. So if you're John and you're sitting on that dragon, you get out your smartphone and you just take a video and you go, oh, what do I do? It's all going very badly. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're watching John and this episode and thinks things are going badly and you need someone to text Game of Thrones gifts to, I, I, it sounds like you could talk to your Talkspace therapist and send unlimited text, audio, picture, and video messages. So why not share your very specific Game of Thrones anxieties with Talkspace? It's so convenient and easy to use. You don't have to wait for a next appointment to talk about what's on your mind. 
so you don't have to watch Game of Thrones when it airs. You could watch it whenever you want, like a normal person, just stay off the internet. And if you're having a tough time, you could always schedule a live video session with your therapist for extra support. The thing I for that I I need I'm really worried that I'm not the assassin that's going to kill the Night King of support. <laughs> the thing I really do truly love about Talkspace is that it's affordable. Like one month of therapy on the Talkspace platform costs about the same amount as a single face-to-face session. Best of all. You'll never have to wait a week to share what's on your mind. Guys, I've received a raven while we've been talking about our feelings. And I have some good news. This raven says, Talkspace has more than 4,000 licensed therapists who are experienced in addressing the challenges we all face. To match with your perfect therapist for a fraction of the price of of traditional therapy, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use the code SOS to get $45 off your first month and show your support for this show and our mental wellness that's sos and talkspace.com and we're back still talking about the long night all right we've gotten to the point now where the whites are inside of the castle and we finally cut back to little murder murder machine Arya stark who i thought was scared but it turns out she's doing fine all that really scares her is getting her head slammed into a wall once she realizes that, like, literally these people aren't going to stop coming. People. Mm-hmm. These whites aren't going to stop coming. Um, I like... Okay, so Arya also has um, a library, uh, like, hide-and-seek sequence, like a Jurassic Parky sequence, uh, while, while she's in this fear mode, and then eventually has to run all throughout Winterfell. I don't mind the aria stuff necessarily but i do think it's chopped up in a weird way where i can't account for aria for large specific parts of time and i think this is what joanna was talking about where like the episode works emotionally moment to moment where you're like fuck yeah aria and then you cut away to something else because uh, and then you cut back and you're like oh no aria's afraid and then you cut back and you're doing like library uh jurassic park kitchen and then you cut back and you're like, oh, now the hound is going to save her. We're fine. Uh, but how, like, what period of time is this all taking place in? And if it does, does she like, it would only be like 40 minutes from killing a bunch of whites to what she does in the Godswood at the end. How, am I overthinking what is supposed to be like a mini Arya Stark journey of overcoming her fear? And if so, what fear did she overcome? No, Neil, Neil. Sorry. Yes. No, the person with the answer stepped forward. Uh, well, I don't even think that it's necessarily about her conquering her fear. I think it's just set up for what comes later. It's almost like the writers knew that people are going to be like, where the fuck did she come from at the end? <laughs> and it's going to be like, well, let's take some time here. And I think also it quiets the episode down a little bit, which is nice. It's a nice change of pace. But let's, let's remind people that Arya has been training for many years to be a silent assassin and she's going to escape a room full of zombies because she's super quiet. Yeah. And it's supposed to sort of head off because I think it's two things. It's this is supposed to help head off the idea that she sneaks up on all the white walkers at the end. And then also I think the time disparity is at a certain point, I think we're supposed to forget about Arya. Like we're supposed to forget that she's in play even though Melisandre just told her to go shut some blue eyes. Like we're supposed to assume she went and did the yeah. off screen fighting she'd been doing the other time. Yeah. So she just went and fought her way to the God's wood. She took 20 minutes or whatever. Um, so I think that that's sort of all part of it. Uh, I really like the sequence. 
uh, I I didn't think it. I thought actually it was more. There's more character work in the Hound in these moments where it's like the Hound is clearly losing it and he's losing his grip, and Arya recenters him as like, oh shit, I am a big dude who can go help. Um, I am useful and I do care about things and I will fight for someone other than myself. So I think in the beginning, this character work is, is not even about Arya. It's more about the hound. It's more about, I think Davos, they're setting up Davos to have a weird moment with her later because he watches her just mow down zombies. Right. And it's great. So in like some future fight, Davos, right. they're going to be like, in some what about Arya? Plan, Davos will be like, she'll be fine. Davos is going to be like, wait a minute, shouldn't we send her in first? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's what it is. Um, and I think it's a really cool sequence. I really, I liked during the behind the scenes when they talked about the Spanish performer, whose name I do not remember, who plays like the main zombie that's sort of pursuing yeah. her in the room. And he's this really tall, like lanky, double jointed, sort of uniquely made human being bendy he's a very yeah, and he's bendy super person bendy, yeah and he gives this great performance he looks a little too much like rickon for me but oh really? that's just me <laughs> like being like oh shit really <laughs> his name is javier javier botet hmm. um and one thing i love about it so his name's javier botet uh one thing i love about british people is that they pronounce the name javier javier <laughs> I don't know why, but they do. So I was listening to them say like Javier, and I'm like, okay, Javier. all right, <laughs> just um, you <no>. guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it all it's it's good. I mean, this episode's so long, and there's so much that I like the way that they broke it up. Where it's like you have the suspense movie, you have the horror movie, and then you have the action movie. And there's action in all of it, but. This is the horror movie part, and I think that they really do sell the horror in a way yeah. that threw me off. Like, I did not... Like, there was a certain point, and I think it was... It was before the Melisandre and Arya thing. When, when Melisandre talks to Arya, I was like, okay, I see what's happening. But as, as someone who thinks they're smart, I wasn't sure. Like, I was pretty sure that whatever theories we had were, were not right at that point, but I also wasn't sure that I knew any of the outcome and uh that's good that's what the show's supposed to do um i Surprises. yeah i i liked the slower pacing of the of the library hunt um um uh, and i liked the way it was sort of yeah lit and the whole way that they filmed it um on the making of um <laughs> um Miguel Sapachnik said that he sent the white actors, W-I-G-H-T actors, sort of like on various routes through the library, like, um, it's NPC, right? P- characters yeah. in a video game? Non-player characters. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, the <laughs> characters. Like the, Sims. Re- the characters is redundant. NPCs in a video game. Um, just sort of like on a track wandering through the library and Maisie had to figure out how to get through them without being seen. Oh, she played (laughs) Pac-Man. Yeah, which I think is pretty fun. Um, That's just like how they decided to block it is like Maisie trying to make her way through this, this crazy thing that he set up for her. Um, See, that is probably why it has a sense of geography as opposed to some other points of the episode uh, is because it actually did have a sense of geography. um, But yeah, so um, 
Yeah, so I like that stuff. And, and what's interesting about the, the Clegane and Barrick stuff is that the, um, you know, there's just been so much talk for, you know, since they met up again in season six of like, you know, the Lord of Light brought us back for a reason, Clegane. We're here for a reason. We have a purpose, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, uh, you know, the purpose is to help Arya do the thing. Um, and that's Melisandre's purpose too, is to help Arya. It's everyone's purpose. Help Arya do the thing. Um, and I don't know that they knew that. Maybe they did in season six. Well, they said they knew like three years ago. I don't know that they've always known what Barrick slash John pla- slash the Hound's purpose would be in coming back. But they keep banging this drum. We have a purpose. So to make that purpose so direct and identifiable in this episode, which is like the Hound and Barrick who once like fought over Arya, who have both kidnapped Arya early on in the season, like who did all these various things. Uh, they are now her protectors. That feels like a nice little uh, loop to close. I like that uh, little loop there. I mean, I got I got issues with this episode. I'm just trying to highlight the things I liked because people have heard <laughs> me talk about my issues elsewhere. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, before we get to crypts and dragon things, I do want to talk about my main issue of the episode, which is how they deal with uh, all our other favorites who are fighting throughout a long stretch of this episode inside Winterfell. Um, I think that they're, they're all the victims of loss of geography. I don't know who's where on the walls when they tell them to get on the walls. I don't know really who's coming back to life when the Night King like raises it back up. And I think what it is is we're on sets that we've seen. Uh, and they did a great job of, uh, showing like the layout of Winterfell in the previous two episodes. So I thought, you know, that was to help me during the battle scene to realize the stakes. But then the fog of war rolls in. So then we're in these situations where not only are there tons of generic bodies crossing the frame, you know, basically making it impossible to have a long depth of field. So you have Arya, you know, in, hallways and whatnot so you're really close on Arya's face but we can't see the people behind them because you gotta control how little lighting you have versus how much breadth you have and cgi adding later and i think it all kind of smashes together into a muddiness and so when i talk on the internet or whatnot about this episode not looking good to me that's what i'm talking about i'm talking about theon being in the god's wood which is a beautiful set pave that we've seen lit beautifully in several different ways, including at night, uh, being lit by like this orange uh, dirt glow after they light the trench for the final scene. It's those tiny decisions that I could see why they were made economically to create confusion or whatnot. But it used to be like, uh, I don't know, my eighth grade English teacher, sorry guys, uh, used to tell, <laughs> I wrote a story <laughs> once that was all dialogue and it took place between two soldiers of the Revolutionary War and she read it and she's like, when does this take place? I'm like, during the Revolutionary War and she pointed out to me that my dialogue was creating confusion by creating the reader, not communicating that the characters were themselves confused in war. And I feel like that's the error this episode makes is in in order to shorthand uh, this absolutely massive army of like fire ant World War Z people, uh, you know, building up these mounds of like Tormund and Gendry on the top at the end, uh, in order to like build those singular moments, we've sacrificed the overall uh, idea of where these people are and what's at stake at any given moment and the difference between Pod and Gendry if you can't see their hammer. Like, I think a Pod only kills like two people. 
I'm, anyway, I'm, not important. Like, po- pod... Pod, like... <laughs> That's that, you know, when, when people accuse this episode of having plot armor, like, or characters in this episode of having plot armor, like. Sam. Uh, Sam, Sam is number one with a bullet top of my list, obviously. Like, uh, there's, <laughs> in the making of Miguel Sapostrick's, like, we just ran out of stunt people to throw at Sam at one point. So we just have a shot of him <laughs> on the ground crying. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. It looks like, a, like, like, Wild Earl, um, the guy, the stuff yeah, guy. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, we just kept sending guys at him. It was, it was, te- we wouldn't do it to like anyone we loved, but it was terrible. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So he's just like on the ground crying. And I'm like, we got a great reaction out of him. How is this guy alive? But anyway, like, um, I do think this episode has a lot of significant deaths. I think, you know, we talked about like one A string player going down and several B string, but I, I put Melisandre in the A string. Theon's in the A string for me. It may not be for everyone, but the Night King is in the A string. The Night King is in the A string. And so like, um, and then you've got, uh, Beric and Ed and Liana in the B string. You know what I mean? And I could have done with like, I mean, I won't say the T word, but let's say Podrick and, um, you know, one other person. Jamie. No, that's a string. <laughs> How dare you? No, no, we, we, we know Jamie. Listen, we, we all know, you know Jamie. that everyone thought Tormund should die. Okay, Tormund. But that's how Tormund has lived his life. Okay, Tormund and Podrick, like, probably should have sure. died or something like that, right? Um, and then people probably would have really felt like, and again, probably Gendry. Let's, Gendry, yeah, let's throw Gendry. Gendry on the pile. For sure, Gendry. Gendry, dead. Because what else does Gendry have to do? I mean, hit somebody uh, in the chest with his hammer at the trident. But I other just, than that, what else does he have to oh, do? Oh, okay. Um, I could have made a crass joke, but I won't. But I will say that, like, Gendry now gets to brag <laughs> the lady that he is hooking up with killed the Night King. Awesome. That's my girlfriend. <laughs> that is my girlfriend. No, sorry. Gendry's very respectful. <laughs> That's my lady. Oh, That's my lady. Did you hear the story about how my lady killed the Night King? Uh, it's yeah. pretty rad. And then my friend, my friend Francis. <laughs> this is him and Hot Pie. <laughs> My friend Francis today uh, tweeted at me. He's like, you know, Arya on Faceless Men assassin missions with Gendry as her cue, making her increasingly intricate weapons. And I'm like, yes, yes. Spinoff. <laughs> I know they haven't talked any spinoff sequels, but let's do this. I mean, I think I, I like fanficed a happy ending for all the characters at the beginning of the season. And like, you know, the whole Liana and Jorah go to... Ba- oh, we, I didn't mention Jorah among the dead. Liana and Jorah go to Bear Island and live happily ever after is obviously not happening. Um, yeah. But, you know, Arya and Gendry uh, assassin uh, miss- missions would definitely... Would watch. Still in play. Um, but anyway, um, if you killed a couple more B-stringers, then, like, I guess people wouldn't be complaining as much. But it is ridiculous that on that, like, rampart where... I keep using the word rampart to be many different things is because I don't know what the names of castle parts are, but like, um, <laughs> Brienne, Jamie, Davos, uh, oh, when they each have their own yeah, little whack-a-mole they all, they, and they're just yeah, going at it. Yeah. yeah. And they all survive <laughs> except for Jorah, it's who it. goes like running miles away at some point somehow, uh, to get to Daenerys. So I think I know what the problem is with this, uh, because I, I found a similar problem and I think it's that what they really wanted was this that tracking shot of John where John's like checking in on all his buddies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't make sense from any tactical standpoint. Like John should be going much faster and on a much shorter route. Uh I don't know if that's possible, but they do they use it to sort of linger and the reason why there are stakes for these people who are now in their whack-a-mole holes 
is it's all about the timing. You know, they're it's, called Merlins. <laughs> they come as close to dying as you can. Like they are all about to go down, and Arya saves them at the last second. So it's weird to have John do this like ten minute long run, and then be like, "Oh shit, we saved him at the last second." It's like there's just a lot going on there. Like just yeah. from a you could from you a could have story just stopped and saved Sam when you thought about stopping and saving Sam, and then decided not to stop and because <laughs> John's an idiot and he that's doesn't my, make it. That's my favorite shot. You <laughs> nope. <laughs> oh, there goes Sam. Um, Bye, I Sam. Say, I think we should take a moment to address the "it looked bad" thing. Um, yeah, yeah, you guys but, all blew past that, but, but I don't. Do I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> see. Here's the thing that I've been really struggling with over the last couple of days since I've, I've now watched the episode three times. And I, my experience was obviously very different than what is being t- described to me from other people. So I don't know what it is. I don't know what the problem was. Um, but I think I've sort of figured out, uh, um, you have a beautiful, huge television. Well, I've seen your TV. It's massive. And like, maybe you have the right settings. It's on not it even well. that fancy. You, your television is huge and beautiful mine is that's small, true. small and crappy so i like, also turn all the lights out yeah um but here's the thing uh there's a lot of detail in this episode that i think we will get in those sequences when people start to see it on blu-ray and in better streams and whatever um but i do think that this is an interesting moment for the convergence of cinema and television because in all of the interviews, in the wonderful interview you did with Fabian Wagner, in the stuff I've seen from him elsewhere, in the behind the scenes with Sapochnik, it sounds like they really shot this as a piece of cinema. And it really does seem like no one, no one thought, shit, how's this going to look when we stream it to 17 million people at the same time? And I don't know if there's a good solution to that, because I think the episode itself, the way it's filmed in the optimal viewing setting is one of the most magnificent, gorgeously shot low light things I've ever seen in my life. And I've seen a lot. Um, even these sequences where they're following John are just crazy in depth and detail. And uh, so I, I think that's my thought. I can only describe what my experience was and what I thought of that. And what I saw in these is it's very chaotic but there is more detail. And the other thing that's a little bit that felt more clear to me is that at all times we are seeing exactly what we're meant to see. So like I think of the shot later of Daenerys over Jorah and we just sort of barely see Drogon in the background, but that's sort of part of the, the whole shot is Drogon's coming back to protect Daenerys and obviously chill out after being almost eaten by a thousand zombies. Um, but I imagine if, if in a non-optimal situation, people would have missed that. And I think that there is fault in someone like someone's at fault here for this, not looking great for a lot of people. I don't, um, yeah, I just, I would, my thing is I don't want to blame the cinematographer because the cinematographer shot this to be a gorgeous low lit movie. And then they, put it i don't i don't yeah i don't blame fabian wagner um though perhaps they should have thought of the way in which people watched yeah. the show when they filmed it um and and um or when they edited it or when they yeah. color corrected it or when they something hit but upload like on it yeah something but like 
uh, yeah, like the the they had a screening of the episode at uh, Grandma's Chinese Theater in LA. Like all the all the Thrones people were there um in LA because it's their FYC therefore your consideration Emmy screening. So they all saw it in the huge screen and I'm sure it looked fucking amazing. Oh, I'm sure it just killed yeah. in there. Um <laughs> you know, so then they like all left and they're like, "Yeah, we did an amazing job." And they went to a party and then they logged on and they're like, "Wait, what? People couldn't see it? Are they blind? I saw yeah. everything." And it's like, "I understand so I- that difference, but you shouldn't have to have an amazing television in order to be able to uh enjoy th- this episode of of Game of Thrones. And I think, yeah. I think that, um, there are some use, the intentional uses of darkness in this, in this episode that I really like. But then there's also like, so I try not to judge Game of Thrones as an episode episode, sort of like artistically until I sit, sit down when I'm done with all my writing and watch it again. And I watch it with our producer, Diana. I've talked about this before. She asks me questions, the whole thing. But like, when I'm watching it for the first time, I'm just like in, sort of panic coverage mode. And so like, I know I'm not absorbing everything. So I'm never going to judge it on the first like couple times through or whatever. But in that sit down, when I've already seen it a couple times and, and like know the basic beats, then I try to like, just really let it wash over me in this other, you know, the way it's meant to be seen by people. And, um, I had to like sit there and like kind of narrate it for Diana. And part of that is like, we don't have a great TV. It's kind of far away from where we sit. Like that's, you know, that's whole thing. But like, um, I had to tell her as the episode started and it was like kind of confusing. I turned to her and I was like, no one you care about is going to die in a way that you won't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the other take point. The time to make sure you see if, when you if get someone, to the end of this. Yeah. If you, someone <laughs> dies, you know, you will know it. So don't, don't like just relax during the like stab and slash scenes because you don't need and, to, like, it's fine. Um, yes. I'm aware that Stannis died off screen. I've heard that one before. <laughs> well, it's not, it's not just that. Not, I just like they're not doing that anymore. Yeah, I, I was just like, it's not. It's not even that. It's just sort of like the scrum. You don't have to like track everyone because if someone you care about is going to die, they're going to give that person a moment in this episode. Even Ed, you know what I mean. So like, don't worry about it. Um, and then, but then I st- that- I still wound up like narrating half the episode for Diana. I was like, okay, there's okay, there there's yeah, Podrick. It's and really doing tough. This. It's it's hard. And like, so I understand the people having that reaction online. I also understand the frustrations of the people who made the episode. Um, I love your point about it being And the confusion of everyone that watched it at my house. <laughs> I love like your we point were it was it. not just me. We were all like, wait, what? Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, that's I think the point. Like I definitely agree with what Neil's saying about the differences between like compression and broadcast and how they shot it versus how it was presented but on the other hand we at a podcast have had these same issues with battle episodes before where we suddenly lose geography and they take place in the day i think that you know it's also they 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 have a certain way of creating confusion i always like to think about there's a for a while uh, i was sharing offices with a 3d conversion company that would try to take movies and convert them to 3d back when that like seemed to be super profitable and there's actually a math equation as to how the minimum amount of time you could have a 3d scene with things moving on screen so that the brain could actually translate what it's seeing through it through its like logic sense it has to turn all these like weird two 3d shapes that are being falsely projected into your head. And there are, you know, minimum cuts where, you know, you just start getting into arguments about subliminally sending things in. 
But either way, the shorter the cut is, the more visual clarity it needs to have. And I think that is what really gets lost well, as we yeah. get into these battle episodes. What's, for sure. It's not just the battle episodes, though. And it's just, it, like, this has been an increasing trend on Game of Thrones is this darkness. And it's funny because, mm-hmm. like, I did all these interviews for the Still Watching podcast before the season started. And I asked so many people who work on the show about filming in the dark without being rude and being like, why is the show so dark now? I was just like, so what's some of the challenges of light? You know, so I had like already talked to Fabian Wagner about this and I talked to Deb Riley, the production designer about like, how do you get the light in? And this is all, I think, inspired by Neil watching episodes with me and pointing the shit out to me. But like, like, how'd they get that? Yeah. (laughs) I'd be like, oh, okay. I'll ask them. Yeah. Cause they Um, are crazy about natural light. Like it is exceptionally hardcore. Yeah. To the point where they, they may have fucked up here. Yeah. Okay. Well, like, and I was, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about this elsewhere, but like, I, I did rewatch the Helm's Deep sequence over the weekend, and that thing is lit like crazy. That yeah. thing is That's like, basically the daytime. It's, a, it's, it's, <laughs> it's night for day is what it is. Like, it is crazy how, how that, uh, sequence is lit, and you can see F, F and everything, and it's great. Um, well, but doesn't it make sense that if you're going to sacrifice, like, the logic of a battle episode, so that people could emotionally do it, that you could also sacrifice naturally lighting everything so that people could emotionally be more into the Well, so I'm not, I'm not, like, I I just want to say that, like, I have been making gifts about this show for, uh, what, five, six years now, something like that, um, ever since I started VF in season four. And, uh, increasingly over the years, so I make gifts in Photoshop, so I have, like, my, you know, I can make them pretty quickly, but I've got, like, a few steps that I run through. And on other things, I just run through these certain steps. On any single Game of Thrones GIF, one Enhance. of the steps, one of the steps exposure. is to bump up the exposure all yeah. the way well, to the top every single time. Actually, and that's um, just not this episode. I mean, sorry for like this GIF inside baseball, but like, like I, you know, a lot of people who have covered the show and like have to deal with the photographs that we get or whatever are like, and the photographs themselves are bumped up contrast already. But like, if you're making gifts from the actual footage, uh, you want to bump up that contrast so people can see what's going on. And even then it can still be kind of complicated. So. Yes. This, uh, this leads me to my one piece of consumer advice that I'd like to give about this because in my many lives, I have both a weird expertise about television sets. And, uh, obviously cinematography. cinematography. <laughs> Here's my recommendation. The best way to get the most out of this episode that I've found is it's not about brightness. It's about contrast. Right. So it's about the difference between black and white and the depth of black. So instead of cranking the brightness up on your television, uh, which will actually wash out all the detail, you would want to turn the brightness a little down, turn the contrast up a little bit and try to eliminate as much external light around your tell like your your like you'd want to watch it in a dark room if possible um because glare is just going to kill this episode um i do think that the episode is uh now that i've gone through and made a bunch of gifts it's very underexposed and that's a huge i don't know it just it it feels like a style choice and it feels like they they could you know like it feels like a style choice because when the night king rolls in with the storm he covers everything in clouds mm-hmm. so you don't get moonlight so that explains that so really all you're getting is the light from the fires which i thought they used very well in certain spots um but yeah it's i mean they could have just 
tweaked the color correction or the exposure a little bit, and well, this episode would have some, looked great on everybody's Somebody thing. on the VFS staff could have stepped in and said, like, when you're doing this many gradations of black, you're going to cut half of them in compression. Sure. But, like, none of the above-the-line people. Like, Well, and I, uh, it's, it's weird, because I sort of wonder about this uh, in the way the production works, is... You know, obviously, Fabian Wagner and Miguel Sapochnik show up on set and they are shooting this thing like the greatest movie. Miguel Sapochnik called it a movie like five times in the behind the scenes thing. They are shooting this piece of cinema and then they hand it back off and a lot of other stuff happens to it. And it's really hard to say where they went wrong, but it, there was some sort of final decision somewhere that this was good. Honestly, the only real solution to, based on the way this episode was shot, would be to only release this episode in theaters, which is obviously not a thing they could have done. But that's but, what George yeah. R. R. Martin wanted. <laughs> that George, yeah, George would have done it. And you know what? George was probably right. George like, was right. right. This would have killed in theaters and Hash- probably will someday. Hashtag George was right. <laughs> Damn, that's a long way to go to get to George was right, but I'm glad we got we there. We got there. We made it. <laughs> I think the thing that I've learned with this television debate since I uh, trust Neil is that every everyone is right in this conversation. Yeah, I mean, you your experience is your experience. And if you had moments in this episode where your screen was totally black... That sucks, and I'm so sorry. I wish I could help you with it, but I don't have time to come adjust everyone's television sense. <laughs> but I also think, I mean, like, and I and I really do support Fabian Wagner, but like, uh, he gave an interview to Vulture where he was basically like, "These assholes don't know how to set their TV properly," yeah. and I'm like, "Okay, bud." Like, <laughs> I mean, that's it is, uh, but he, this is another part of my many lives. <laughs> Uh, that's the, at the old tech support problem, which is, this is a situation that has so many variables that a bunch of people could have the same problem for 25 different reasons. And yep. so I think that I, I think that HBO could have maybe headed it off, but I think what, by the time it was filmed, it almost, there was no way there's just, it just had to be like this, I guess. Well, from a television production standpoint, I'm responsible for like final graphics and compressions for a certain number of things for my TV show. And that is like literally two days before we deliver sometimes just because of scheduling. We're running everything through because you have to run the final version of everything through. So it's, you know, the final color correct has to be done over the final dragon animation, which means you have to wait for the final dragon animation to be done and it has to be done with all these elements. So by the time you're testing the blacks and whites and what's going to be washed out in compression, it might be too late. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's, I, it really is. I think everybody is, it's possible that everybody's right with their opinion about whether or not it looked good because you could have a four, you could have the best television ever and be watching it off of HBO Go stream and you're not even getting the depth of black that you're supposed to be getting. So. It's all a mystery. We're all yeah. going to have to learn how to do TV better. I will say this, <laughs> my my history deeper. My history with uh knowing a lot about televisions has led me to always buy a TV, a flat panel TV with a high contrast ratio, which means that it can yep. replicate the most range of white and black, which came in handy this weekend. I'm so excited to go TV shopping with you, Neil. Yeah. <laughs> um, We're going to buy you're going to have the you're going to watch this episode and it's going to be like a whole new world. <laughs> Oh my God! Daniel Portman was giving so much good stuff. There is, well, as and, pod, and like, I missed it. We talk about these like the late scrums where it's very dusty and dirty and red, 
And there's so much detail that gets lost if all of that gets washed together, which yeah, is what if happens. all of that becomes brown. Yeah, it all just becomes brown sludge, and you can't see anything through it. So you don't see the part where Jamie saves Pod. There's like a moment in the end where they're up against the wall, and Pod looks like he's about to bite it, but Jamie comes through for him. And I'm like, people probably missed that, and that's a great Pod moment. Um, but it happens in a split second in a you know pile of brown and orange sludge. Yeah, uh, what's funny is like uh, because I was I was writing the like who lives who dies who tells John's story that's uh, Stephen R. Slack's joke um, <laughs> that I stole from him. But um, because I was writing that post uh, as part of my role as explainer culture uh, Game of Thrones person, um, I just had, I was scrubbing through the final shots of the episode because they did like check ins. <laughs> And I was yeah. like, there's Gendry, there's Tormund, there's Podrick, there's blah, blah, there's, um, the only ones they didn't check in on are Grey Worm, Ghost, and Rhaegal, but they were in the trailer for the next time on. So we are all good and correct. Yeah. But, um, Ghost is the one that really snuck by everybody <laughs> because it's like, wait, where the, f- where the hell did he go? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but, um, isn't that always the question? Ain't that always the question? But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, otherwise, you know, like Pod could definitely have died on that you know, rampart, whatever. Sure. And I wouldn't yeah, have known. Was looking. <laughs> so, um, yeah. The one that's lit properly is my guy Tormund's because he's oh, got back a light lit. behind yeah, him and he's just yeah. a shadow just killing everybody. He looked great. Um, did you see that thing that Christopher Havey on The Making of was like, mm-hmm. I told them to like actually try to pull me he's down. Like, if you can like, take me down, I'll be dead. Yeah. Sometimes he di- he's like, sometimes I died. I'm <laughs> 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 um, so right. glad he's still um, with us. All right. We got Dragon Ride and we got Crips before we could hit up the storm. Oh, so let's go Crips. <laughs> let's go to the Crips real quick. Uh, some stuff happened, but nothing really important happened. Varys is still there. Right? Uh, Varys, speaking, our little warrior girl. Everyone lived. <laughs> yeah. In, to quote alt, that episode of Doctor Shereen. Who. <laughs> yeah. To quote that episode of Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> Tonight, everybody lives. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, the uh, it, w- sorry to keep setting this making of Game of Thrones thing, but if you if you watch that, you can see in the footage it's like there forty minutes long, and it's that awesome. yeah. But uh, you can see in the footage there that Tyrion and Sansa were supposed to fight at some point, and and Sophie Turner talks about the action that she got to do and how she's never gotten to do action before, and how it was really exciting, and that was clearly cut from the episode because. Yeah, <laughs> Because Sansa and Tyrion are sitting there and they're like, uh, you were the best one. Ah, uh, kiss on the hand. Ah, uh, here we go. We're going to do it. And then cut to a bunch of dead whites on the I ground. I should be up there. I'm such a good warrior. Oh, yes. Well, I just got this dagger from my uh, sister who told me to stick them with the pointy end. Ah, oh, yes. Both of these conversations. Are- oh, episode's over. <laughs> I will say this. so silly. Um, I, I but- have one nice thing to say about the Crips. Which is that I appreciate them not making the zombies like as they come out, like making them Actual recognizable. Starts. Yeah, yeah. I have been and assured have be, like, Ned's bones. I have been assured that not a single zombie in there is supposed to be recognizable. So there's this green caption cap side by side going around of like a what looks like a zombified Maester and Maester Lewin, and someone's like, ah, there was Maester Lewin in there. No, no, only Starks in the crypts. <laughs> No Stark right. employees in the crypts, only Starks. And I have Grandma been a Stark. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> it's another joke we stole from the Slack. Sorry, <laughs> Gus- Gustavo. Oh, I didn't see that one. That's good. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Grandma Stark. <laughs> All right. <laughs> 
Crips uh, just lead us back to a baby shark oh, earworm. Great. <laughs> Glad that was really useful. Uh, all right. Uh, dragons is, I think, the other thing that we could lead down into our conclusion, which is uh, this This might be the most successful use of dragons. I mean, first of all, there's a lot of dragons. It was so cool. But- Second of all, you know, I get what they're doing with them The in the fog of war. It makes it easier to make dragons, but it kind of, it worked for me. I I have very few dragon complaints this episode in terms of realistically. I even think that the, the, the zombie one was just like a fantastic model that, so like the, even like the more weird you got with it, like the better it could be. I, I, I kind of don't, I kind of don't want to see dragons in the, daytime anymore this just seems like so much better like they're really a whole new world hovering feel, above the clouds and the moonlight i that feel almost like- the other way now where it's like holy shit i've i've now seen the level of commitment they have to making the dragons look amazing in season eight so it's like what are they hiding what's coming next yeah there was a lot of times in my brain i was like that looks fake but then i was like dave it's Kit Harrington on the back of a dragon. <laughs> what is it? What do you think that looks like? And I was like, oh, yeah, that looks great. Yep. That's what happened to me this episode. Finally, finally with the dragons, my mind switched on the suspension of disbelief. And I think I'm, uh, you know, dragon polygons. This might have been it. All I needed was like that fight which was a little cut together, but it was cut together with all the right parts, all the right chest clawings, all the right neck bitings. That's what a Dance of Dragons looks like in my head. Uh, that plus uh, zombie Viserion's like, vertical attack on uh, Khaleesi and Drogon from the beginning, like spurting blue fire up. That's amazing. I, I got... I know I'm going to get more dragons, but if I didn't get more dragons, and as my only like dragon versus dragon fight... It lived up to my expectations. Uh, Joanna, you like you like dragons. <laughs> Remember? Um, Remember? Remember? <laughs> um, do I like dragons? Uh, I thought the dragon fight was really confusing. I I watched it back a couple times, and I still don't know exactly what happened. Um, the the them soaring above the clouds in the moonlight looked really good, but the, like the close up like. Uh, ah, nose drive, whatever. I like, I'm like, who's biting whom? I don't know. Um, the, the up in the clouds by the moonlight looked a lot like, uh, how to train your dragon three. I'm not the first to say this, but it looks identical to some, uh, midair dragon fucking that happens in how to train your dragon three. <laughs> Spoiler alert for how to train your dragon three. Toothless gets some. Um, but anyway. Uh, oh, is it like hummingbirds <laughs> where they just squish the holes together and then one shoots out a bunch of goop oh, while they're falling? I hate everything. That's a true, that, true fact about hummingbirds. That's everything how it works for everything. <laughs> I just want to wash that hole. Google it. I want to take a Google sh- the hummingbird shower sex. in a bucket after. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I say weirdly my two favorite dragon shots? Uh, well, two favorite dragon moments. They're not really single shots. One is, uh, when John and Danny run into each other, which I thought is like a cool story moment where it's like, well, shit, if there are two dragons up there, why wouldn't they run into each other? Uh, and then I thought the, one of the coolest rendered sequences was when John and Rhaegal are flying low. And he starts clipping the trees and you just get this like shot of him going overhead. Um, I love those shots that show the scale of the dragon. I think we talked about this episode one where John flies by. 
the scale of the dragons is hard to peg when they are in the clouds or above the clouds or only next to each other. But I love it when it's like, holy shit, those things are huge. They are really like 737s. So it's great. My two favorite dragon moments are number one, dragon cat around Daenerys Mm. uh, and Jorah. Great shot. And number two, uh, Viserion leaking blue fire out of his neck, which they shot practically like they rendered this like model of like where the neck holes would be. And they put it on this, like the fire rig that they use. Cause they shoot all that fire practically. Right. So they shot this, they have, if you've never seen the behind the scenes, they have this like big robotic arm that just like shoots fire. And that's what they use ever since like the Drasnek pit for the fire to get like practical fire. Um, and then they color treat it blue and stuff like that. But, um, they render this 3D model that like fitted over the fire rig to match the holes in Viserion's neck so that it would leak fire where it was supposed to. And that's a fine, that's great. That's a great job, so everyone. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Mm. All right. Um, uh, <laughs> Arya kills the Night King. That happens. Cool. Yeah. Seems good. Uh, we're probably gonna have to figure out what that means in the storm section. And uh, an before extremely we go to that, logical ending to her entire arc. Yeah. Well, not no necessarily cap. an ending, but like no zero questions about it. Yeah. None. When it happened, first of all, I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> and second of all, I was like, that makes sense. So the only thing that I wanted out of that scene that I didn't get, but I thought I was getting for a second was I wanted the hound to have thrown her. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, how I, had, I, mean, I guess she was there and she, she like walked out and she was with the hound at the red woman. So I'm like, Oh my God, did he throw her? And like the whole ice, everybody started powdery. I'm like, okay, cool. We haven't seen the hound yet. And then he comes out of that room uh, with Melisandre. I'm like, damn it. Because that would have been a great, a great way for her to cover that much distance. The hound throws her. <laughs> I mean, there's a wall. She could have jumped off the wall. She's. I'm not mad about it because having yeah. just watched all these behind the scenes videos about Helm's Deep, which I did the other day for some reason, um, Aragorn and Gimli make a stupid jump tossing on a sim well tossing. they toss the dwarf but aragorn like leaps through the air in a way that defies gravity so if Ar- if if aragorn can do it aria can do it that's what i have to say yeah i mean <laughs> it's great i mean first of all that shot of the over the shoulder shot of the night king that switches focus from his yeah. face to her face as she's coming in they had to do some of that in post i would imagine but like that is so insane of a shot that it's like the focus changes so quickly. Um, it's just, ah, man, that's such a great way for the Night King to go out too. I want to address some like actual, um, legitimate complaints about this as opposed to the whole like, uh, phrase that will not be uttered by me. Um, sexist complaint about this, which is, uh, Janie, Janie Tom. <laughs> Yeah. Sure, we'll call it that. <laughs> that tracks. Um, so, um. Tom's because it's not gendered this time. <laughs> I fixed it. Um, that, um, uh, Lois Luke. People, <laughs> people, <laughs> people mad that they built up all this expectation or, uh, here's what I'll say. If <laughs> the show had been like, uh, and John's parents are Ned Stark and, um, some random Ashara woman. Dane. Ashara Dane. I would have been like, no, no, no. 
Um, and so I think that, um, people being like, Hey, I've been tracking this as a high prophecy. This fucks with that. I don't like this because I'm a book reader and I thought I understood what this was about. And this flies in the face of that. Um, I understand that frustration because like you feel like you understand the Azor Ahai thing. This is like, but what if not? And um, so that I kind of understand. Um, the show has never been as into the prophecies as we already said. The show has never been that as into prophecies. And so you're just, ha- this is the show's version of that. Do I think it's like an S pandering to the SJW sort of blah, blah, blah? No, I don't. Because like, I thought, I think the show has done that in the past with the whole like, weak men like you will never rule darn again. Like that sucks. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but Arya, the, the, the goddamn trained assassin who we've watched, not just for like a couple seasons, every season <laughs> train to kill people. Um, yeah. Yeah. Of course it's Arya. I just, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, she's got the dagger. She's got the knife skills. She's small and quiet. She's excellent. She was the perfect person. I honestly, I feel like if the episode had gone another way, if John catches the Night King and kills the Night King right there, like assuming the ending, assuming the Night King dies here, no matter what, people would be mad. But it was John. They'd be like, "Nah, eh, that's boring." I think I, I uh, like. <laughs> I was talking to um, some people. Um, I'll specifically call out Kim Renfro because I like to, but a couple people who are like big John fans who were not like, they didn't need John to kill the night King, but they needed John to do something a little more useful in this episode. Right. <laughs> Instead of stand up and yell at a dragon. <laughs> and That's so someone fair. was like, why don't you just let him kill the And I'm like, yeah, let John kill that dragon. Like, you know, Arya killed the dragon because she killed the night King and then Viserion just collapsed. But John could have killed that dragon. It would have been cool if like John was immune to blue fire. Then he killed the dragon. Like give John a big moment, even if it's not the night King moment. Like, you know, he's burdened with destiny. That's fine with me. Um, give Daenerys something better to do, but Daenerys and John look like hapless assholes in this episode. And it's still like, <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a bummer for people who are really invested in their journey. And I understand that. I, Game of Thrones loves the unexpected. So they're going to throw a curveball at us. It's not going to be John and Daenerys. It's going to be Arya. Like that's pretty cool. But like, um, Give John and Daenerys maybe a little bit of a better active role in it. There's this fanfic theory that's cropped up online uh, that people are passing off as like, I can really see this in the footage and they're wrong and delusional. But someone's like, the reason John uh, is like standing there in front of the dragon is is because the dragon's guarding the godswood. And you can see John go, 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 because he's distracting the dragon so that Arya can get past him. Um, you're, you're misogyny showing if you need to make john more important than he is but i understand the impulse because like it would be nice if john had a better plan than i'm just gonna stand and scream at this dragon um Mm. so yeah those are some of my thoughts dave do you have any thoughts on any of that no no that's all seems fine i will say this i have i have no book allegiances so that i just watched a television (laughs) show that did an arc I understood. I have no complaints. Here's the thing. Here's why this, the John thing doesn't bother me as much. Because if there's one thing Game of Thrones accomplished with this episode, in my mind, it's they did something that I thought was previously impossible, which was they bought themselves three episodes, mostly about which we have no idea what's going to happen. So they bought themselves time, which is what I was worried they didn't have enough of. But by ending the Night King here, we now have three full, very long episodes to hash some of the rest of this out. Because I think John 
being sort of a failure in the fields, Daenerys being impulsive in the fields, these uh, Tyrion being mad about being in the crypts, Sansa being mad about uh, being in the crypts, I guess. Um, like, there's going to be a lot of question and answer after this battle. After they're done mourning the dead, I think that a, a, an assessment's going to be made of like, yeah, we could have done that differently. Um, and luckily, that- it'll happen in the daytime, so... That'll be fun. <laughs> so everybody will know at the same time. Um, I, uh, that sounds like a good way to transition, but I feel I'd be remiss if I didn't give Joanna a moment for Jorah Mormont. Um, yeah, let's point one out for the character assassination of Jorah Mormont when he did not get <laughs> a good run up to his death. And so Joanna felt nothing. Maybe it's just because I like pre-numbed myself. Maybe that's all that's been happening is I've just been like pre-bracing for his death so that I wouldn't be upset by it. But I wasn't. I don't know. I wasn't really that upset by it. I don't know what to tell you. I think I think in terms of Game of Thrones depth, there's like a period of time in towards the end of his little defending Daenerys part where he's literally letting himself get stabbed just so they won't stab Daenerys. So Daenerys could like stab them in the head. And I'm like, that's like that's uh, him and Barrick both coming up with that move. Just like, all right. Just use me as a pincushion. Yeah, that just one, not the girl. That one thing he gets, he gets like this blow to the chest. It's very much just like, let me just throw my chest on this blade for you. Um, yep. and Diana, <laughs> Diana, when we were watching it, Diana goes, what does she say? Uh, she either said, you deserve a raise or she should pay you more. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, um, I did want to say though, really quickly, I'm sorry. I know we're running long and we need to roll into the storm, but like, and, and this actually will lead into the storm, but this is like a non-spoiler way of saying it. I'm frustrated by the takes I've seen from some very smart TV critics who are saying like, Oh, they've ruined the show. What are they going to do now in the final three episodes? The point is we don't fucking know. And like, exactly. uh, you know, it is fair that. You know, the, the showrunners and the writers have made some decisions over the years as they travel off the map of George's books that have made me doubt their ability to, like, craft a thing on their own. But we do know that they're headed towards something that they talked to George about. Um, And so I have some optimism around that. And secondly, like... Um, we just don't know. So people being like, oh, it's just a fight of, like, all of our heroes against Cersei now? That's so lame. You don't know that that's what it is. That yeah, might be the first. Don't know that's, we don't know that that's going to be lame. Either. We might, yeah, that might be the first 20 minutes of the next episode. You don't like, Cersei might die 20 minutes of the next episode. I don't think she will, but she could. You know, like, you don't know. I don't know. We don't know. And so, like, to make presumptions about literally more than half the season that's left. Uh, is frustrating to me. And I don't even mean to be that as like a knee jerk defender of the show. I, I'm happy to criticize the show for being toothless in some way or oh, something yeah. like you that. You can find out more about our criticisms of the show in the iTunes reviews from like two years ago. Everybody <laughs> thought we hated the damn thing. <laughs> but like, so I'm it's happy. It's weird to be on the other side now. Yeah, it is. But like, I'm happy to have these conversations when we've seen episode six. But until then, we don't know what they're going to do. I mean, we have, we, we know some, we think we know some things, I guess I should say, and we'll talk about them in the storm, but like, we don't know. So like how I'm really kind of frustrated and angry. I'm not, I'm not de- I defending th- all of like them. It's also, we should be like excited like the, about this is what I'm saying. Or 
or should be not. In the conflicted the positions of like a critic, because uh, I don't think there's anyone who actually likes the show who's not going to watch the next episode. No, right? no, no, no. I don't think anyone's saying they're not going to watch. And you could criticize, like, the, what I'm saying is like, you can criticize this episode all, or you can do whatever you want as a TV critic. I'm no Kit Harrington. I'm not here to tell TV critics how to do their job. Do whatever you want. I support you in all your endeavors. I think it's silly to criticize three future episodes that you haven't seen criticize what you've seen all you like uh love it or hate it or whatever that's that makes sense to me to be like well the rest of the season is ruined now which i've seen very smart tv critics say and i'm like what are you actually talking about you don't know like you don't know they've sucked all the tension out of the show now even those of us who (laughs) we know don't know yeah (laughs) so like it's just it's it's frustrating to me and it is a it is a function of uh, you know, recap culture or whatever, like uh, having to generate content around Game of Thrones all the time. I do it by trying to like explain lore, but the people who try to have like bigger thoughts about it, um, it's, it, it, it's a mistake. I think sometimes to try to assess a season of television halfway through the season of television or two episodes into the season, you know, this season sucks. And I'm like, uh, how do you know? You don't know yet. Yeah. Um, or the, so anyway. uh, well, after, le- after they were perfect last episode, they totally ruined it. This one. <laughs> it's like, you know, they made both, right? Right. <laughs> Take the season as a whole. I mean, I, I, made both. I vastly pers- preferred episode two to episode three, but that's just sure. because like episode two is, you mean of- episode 69 is better than episode <laughs> 70. Of course. <laughs> well, nice. everyone would have seen that. And here's nice. the thing. That I'm sure Dave is about to say is that the exciting part is that the reasons why we all loved episode two is because it got back to the Game of Thrones, like the quieter, more political, more just sort of human Game of Thrones. And now that the Army of the Dead is gone, we get three more episodes of that, which I think is very exciting. Yes. Actually, what I was going to say is let's move this up top out of the storm (laughs) for our listeners Joanna, where can people find more of your work online in between this week and next? Uh, VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. You can listen to me on the Still Watching Podcast, the Cast of Kings Podcast, and the Little Goldman Podcast. And Mr. Neil Miller. Uh, well, obviously, FilmSchoolRejects.com is where I do some work. And my saltiest takes have been on Twitter at Rejects. Stay tuned for those. Uh, and I'm Dave Gonzalez. You could find me on Twitter at DA7E. You could find my uh, Game, of, Game of Thrones coverage at Thrillist.com. And you could find my Avengers Endgame coverage everywhere. That's it. Um, uh, we're, we'll see you guys next week if you want to jump off. Otherwise, follow me into the storm where all the spoilers live. It's time, as we do every week, to say thank you to some of our small council members on our Patreon, patreon.com slash storm of spoilers. Uh, we love all of you. These folks, all new to the small council, we're very happy to be saying your names for the first time and probably ruining them. So, I'll start by thanking Greta Samuel, Surway, of course, Peter Hobson, Edmund Plamowski, Katie Jaw, and... Luce, Lisa Romney, Hayden Carlin, Kevin Engelkamp, Anna Bradbury, Donut Jimmy, awesome, Felix DeSelby, Sienna Banks, and Lawrence Medina. I would like to add to that Serafina Cobine, David Snell, Kate Rarick, Sophie C, Jesse Baird, Martha Platt, Nathan, no last name given, Justin Way, Julie Main, Aaron Azur, Aubrey, also last nameless, 
That's the way to roll. Jane, Weeble, Amy, GF, and Lorenzo Chiandra. I want to thank Ian Rowe, Jesse Morris, Zoe E, Dave L, Michelle Boucher, or Boucher, I don't know, Amy Schreiner Thomas, Shannon Camille, Rachel Scott McNeil, Laura Edwards, Monica Wolf, Chris, Aubrey Converse, and Fainting Violet. Uh, Shannon, if I butchered your name, I know who you are. I know you from the Slack. If I butchered your name, please let me know and we will fix it. Thank you guys so much. I am the storm, brother. The first storm and the last. And you're in my way. And we're back for the storm section. You just heard a log thing of uh, Game of Thrones. You're on stuff, so you know that if you're here, you're in the spoilers. Uh, those are all the warnings you're going to get. I'm done for this week. No more spoiler warnings. Uh, so, guys, none of us thought the Night King would uh, be out in the third episode. Uh, I I believe we did talk about that being a possibility last season when we knew even less about this season than we probably know now. Uh, but I, I don't think in our conversations in the storm uh, here in season eight, we, we talked about this possibility. Uh, I think that was the thing that threw me off the most was I was pretty sure they lost the battle. So by the time they get to the end, I'm like, fuck. (laughs) I don't know why I thought they lost the battle. Like I was so certain that they lost the, well, it's because the night, okay, here's the deal. I was doing this calculus in my head. The spoiler that we think, we still think we know (laughs) is that Tyrion Lannister, burns King's Landing with wildfire and is then executed for war crimes. This is something that has been leaked by Freaky Doctor, who is like the most reliable leaker until HBO like sort of th- legally threatened him into quietude. Um, and then for some reason, I don't know if this came from Wiki, uh, Fr- Freaky Doctor WikiLeaks. That's not the same thing. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, that the reason that, the, that Tyrion does this is because he's like afraid of the city turning, like the undead army rising in the city. So like you need the Night King to be alive still and able to raise the dead in order to inspire Tyrion to burn the city out of fear of, um, the population of King's Landing being turned into whites. Um, without the Night King there, I struggle trying to understand why Tyrion would do this. And we'll get back to that. But like working backwards from there, I was just definitely assuming that the Night King had to be alive in order to give Tyrion that inspiration, at least by episode five. So I was like, okay, so the presumption is they have to lose the battle of Winterfell because how can they win the battle of Winterfell and have the Night King still be alive? Those two things don't make a lot of sense to me. So then I got like stuck on my hamster wheel trying to figure out how they retreat from Winterfell. And I never found, I I never came up with a good answer for that. And the answer is because they don't. Though that's that, that, uh, intel we had about the Golden Company coming up from the back and like fucking them, um, during the battle. I'm kind of holding out hope that that still might happen in episode four where they they won the battle against the army of the dead they think they're safe we see them toasting their victory in um the next time on Tyrion gets an arrow directly to the groin from the crossbow <laughs> i've heard this story and then the golden company shows up like this is gonna be my lady stoneheart 
<laughs> like, <laughs> and then the Golden Company show up. Well, right? now, I mean, now the question is not if it's just sort of when and where the Golden. Like, Dave's Trident theory is now in play. Like, if they start yeah, marching south Trident and theory. the Golden Company marches north, they meet in the middle. Um, so my theory is that, like, yeah, because the Northern armies now that they're going to position to take on. Like, they're not going to take on uh, King's Landing from Winterfell. They're going to do it from Dragonstone. Like, that's just makes sense on map. So they got to get back down to... I'm assuming they'll, they'll move. So what we thought was fleeing is them actually moving. But I don't know. That also has, like... I would like the Golden Company to meet at the Trident, yes. I also wouldn't be against the Golden Company sort of doing uh, Tywin Lannister to the Mad King to Cersei at some point. And like maybe having allegiance to Euron over her or some something dumb, or Dario like, Naharis, Dario Naharis, <laughs> or Jack and Hagar, who is really just Captain Strickland. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just throwing out <laughs> stupid shit at this point. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know what the next episode is like, if it isn't them moving to Dragonstone to set up an assault on yeah. in episode five. It's also interesting because now that Winterfell has been saved you have characters that i imagine would stay at winterfell like you imagine john and danny riding south taking all their homies with them Tyrion, Varys, all the people who are think they're going to be part of this new administration but like sansa i imagine she's still gonna have stuff to do in the next three episodes but i don't i would imagine the lady of winterfell stays in winterfell well, we know that from like leaked set, fo- set photos that there's going to be uh, like a Targaryen Stark hybrid sigil. Do we think they save that for the end episode after we've actually finished the war, or do we spend this week deciding who's Getting staying these in kids the north? Hitched. And, yeah, and it's who's staying in the south, and then Davos is like, "There's only one way to ensure all the Northmen go south." Um, I have do, 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 do. Ba- baby Stark. Do, 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 Grandma do, do, Stark. Do, 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 do. No, 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 just baby Stark. Oh, I baby think, Stark. I think Daenerys's baby is going to, if if that still exists, uh, is going to change the tenor of their argument. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, like they're going to be divided, divided, divided. Uh, they're still a little divided, right? Because like in the next time on, John leaves. For some reason, with like Davos, Daenerys is like alone at the head of the hall at Winterfell. Um, I think John goes off to like tell a bunch of people maybe who he, he is. He goes off to call uh, the <laughs> Kingdom of Dorne. Um, and then <laughs> see and where then, the fuck they've been the whole time. So they all got killed conveniently <laughs> by Euron. I think didn't Euron yeah. kill all of Dorne? I think. No. Um, I- <laughs> Anyway. Oh, wait, no, no, I think he cut them back while they were going back to get them. Oh, yeah, you're right. got the army. The Dornish army drinking wine. exists. Drinking wine, heart. having a fine Tormund's time. Tormund's going to go get them in the next episode. <laughs> and it'll They're be the nice things ever happen to me. <laughs> roll up to Dorn, and Mira Reed's going to be like, sup, I've been here drinking wine and sunbathing for <laughs> a while. How you also, doing? meet my dad. He knows all your secrets. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there's like some conflict and a coming together. Of the, I forgot about the Starkarian si- uh, symbol sigil. That's a great thing uh, to remember. Some coming together. But then like the Tyrion betrayal, I am struggling to explain because I really liked this idea of what Tyrion does, which is on its face monstrous, had some sort of for the greater good argument behind it. And then this idea of like Daenerys executing him for war crimes and you like 
understand why she had to do it, but also are kind of conflicted about it and understand why Tyrion had to do it, but also it was a monstrous thing to do, you know, like well, and leaving no, no, it. No, on I, that. Mean, I think that's, that's, that's really easy because he does it so that Daenerys doesn't have to do it because she can't be the mad queen, but he could blow up King's Landing and end, end it, you know, when it gets bad. Mm. And so that makes it even more bittersweet because in order to he be the just her. queen, that he set up for her to be, he asked, she has to execute it. Yeah. They, it, well, and then you get this pattern of like all the men who have served her are dying in the way that they, you know, like the most way that they know how to serve. Like Jorah's way was, I will be your shield when the night is darkest. Tyrion's way is, I will do the, I will make the tough choice. Yeah. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. So like, and, and, and it, it like, gets to and the we point get... where the battle's going really bad, and Daenerys is like, "Burn them all!" And Tyrion's like, "Uh, our, our future. What what worth is a Lannister life in that in that position?" Or maybe Daenerys doesn't say burn them all. Maybe Tyrion maybe, is like, yeah. "We need to go light light them on fire." And she's like, "But you've been telling me this whole time." And John said, "Don't do that too." And we're gonna have a baby now. So mm. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, because it would, Daener- it would be easy for Daenerys to win that way. And they've set it up and they set it up why she can't. She can't be the queen of ashes. So, I mean, I the, mean the things the, get really bad. The thing is, like, um, thank you. You've made me feel better. Um, the thing is, like, um, we had so, like, when you feel like you know where this is going, there's a, so many hints in this episode. There's Tyrion being like, petulant and frustrated that he's been like sent to his room he's down in the crypts and he's like but i was a hero of blackwater and i did a big heroic cool smart thing with the wildfire and i'm a good fighter let me fight and then there's also the like significant like sansa's like it'll never work and he's like why and she's like the dragon queen and like sansa knows she's not talking about like political loyalties like this is the whole raising this idea of Tyrion being in love again which we got i don't remember if we talked about it but we got in that fireside chat when um Jamie and Tyrion are talking about Jamie, uh, Tyrion's old horror, horror-mongering ways. And Jamie's like, you could again. And Tyrion's like, and he's like, I don't think I could. Nope, I can't because I'm in love with one lady and she doesn't give a shit about me. Um, you know what I mean? So I think all of that is so betrayed for love. I mean, that's not, I know I just banged on and on about how the show doesn't do, uh, prophecies, <laughs> but Daenerys is supposed to be betrayed three times and one of them's for love. So maybe Tyrion's doing this because he loves her and trying to spare her Ooh, what were the yeah. other ones it was once for gold uh three betrayals of daenerys targaryen <laughs> i just typed into google uh one uh, would be for blood which is miri mazdor one is gold and um Pete, which it was jorah. jorah and then one is love um so and then Jorah might be the loved one. I don't know if you want to do Jorah that. might be the loved one and Zarozo and Doxas might be the gold mm, one. You know I hate you calling him Doxas, but yes, I yeah. agree. That's how um, you're supposed to... It's not... I didn't say Doxas. <laughs> I said Doxas. Okay. Like, oh, okay. Like the Spice King. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry. I take it back. Although retracted. it is kind of still funny <laughs> no, to me. Retracted. Just to the um, one of us. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, what else do we think we know? I don't know. Literally we don't nothing. know nothing. That's the best yeah, no, part about this whole thing. I was so excited when they killed the Night King. I was like, fuck yeah. I don't know anything anymore. Oh, I know. I know. What I know things. In the storm section, debating the Tyrion thing and making stuff. I know. Out. I know some things. Wait, wait, wait. I know that um, they armed the King's Landing set with giant ballistas 
so Cersei, that's what I think when Cersei's like, when Kyron's like, Cersei has something else planned for the Dragon Queen. Uh, he means like big mega dragon fellers that they're mounting on the walls of King's Landing to shoot down the dragons. So, and I think Rhaegal goes down at least, um, outside. I would like both dragons to die because I like the idea, not because I need dragons to die, but like because I like the idea of all the magic going out in the world. Like, Night King's dead, Melisandre dies, dragons go away. We've ner- seen nary a dire wolf at a long time. <laughs> Like, you know, like all the magic goes. And then Ghost it's just is going to like, make it all the way to the end. At this and then it's point. like, what do you do when it's just people sort of thing left? Yeah. I think know? my ghost theory is now that Ghost uh, stays with Sansa. I would love that. Sansa yeah. would like actually. Uh, Sansa is. Well, and if you think about Sansa, Sansa is. There's two things that we know that she's very into right now, which is she's the smartest political maneuverer uh, in the game. She's also very interested in her own personal protection. You know, like the way she dresses, the way she has styled herself is like, thou shalt not pass, which we get, you know, understandable. So I love the idea of ghost staying with her as like a, you know, a piece of, you know, cause I think John's going to go down to King's Landing and assuming he wins, they stay there. So, so here are some things I know. And this is all from like filming info, right? In episode four, two, she- two scenes were shot in Croatia with David Nutter, who's, who does episode four. And it's John walking into King's Landing with two, um, guards on him and, um, two northern men. So he, we see him leave, uh, so we see him leave with Davos and someone else. I think it's Sam because Gilly looks concerned in the background. So I think John walks into King's, <laughs> man walks into a bar. John walks into King's Landing with Davos and Sam to treat with Cersei. Um, and then the other scene is the one we all sort of saw, which is John meeting Cersei in the mountain in different parts of the King's Landing wall. These are two things that are shot in Croatia. So, uh, they might be fake. A lot of people thought they were fake, the John meeting Cersei sort of thing. Um, but like, let's say John goes down to King's Landing next week to try to negotiate with Cersei and maybe Daenerys after he finds out that Daenerys is pregnant and won't let her go. Maybe. Who knows? Hmm. And Daenerys maybe. looks pissed in the trailer, so maybe she's mad. She's go- he's gone. Maybe she bonds with Sansa, who's like fuck Cersei. Who knows? Episode five uh, is the battle for King's Landing, and this like we know that Miguel Sapochnik wanted to direct three, four, five, uh, and then he physically did not have the ability to do that, and so he wanted, and so the guys, Weiss and Medea, were like, okay, we're gonna have David Nutter come in for four, which tells me that episode five is the battle episode because you you. You serve, you save your Sapochnik for a battle episode, right? So that's the Battle of King's Landing, right? Um, and the walls of King's Landing have a new version of Kyber and Scorpion on them, and they're much bigger than the one that Bronn had. The Unsullied and the Dothraki will be involved. That's, I mean, like the two Dothraki that are left, I guess. Um, and <laughs> it's going to be real weird when we, we find out there's still like 5,000 Dothraki somewhere. Yeah. And then, and then in episode six, we've got that big dragon pit scene that we know has been filmed. Um, which, Robin where Aaron! a ton of uh, cast, and there's a rumor that instead of ending with one person on the die, uh, I love this rumor. This is a really fun rumor because, um, it, it ends with not one person on the Iron Throne, but a royal council of several kingdoms. And so I was trying Ooh, to count I was, seven. I don't think it's seven because I think like the Crownlands. And King's Landing would be combined. Anyway, um, I was trying to cast who would sit on Royal Council 
of the surviving people who make it to the end of the and series. And still alive in the veil. Yeah, Robin Aaron is definitely leading the veil. That's the only reason why fucking Robin Aaron's at the dragon pit. Let me tell you that right now. Um, yes. All right. So you get what? Robin Aaron. Robin Edmure. Aaron. Sansa. Yeah, Edmure. Edmure gets the Riverlands. Sansa gets the North, right? I was thinking mm-hmm. maybe Davos gets the Stormlands. Sure. Um, or Gendry. Or Gendry. Uh, a naturalized uh, uh, Baratheon. Yeah. Um, uh, and his I, new I, murder girlfriend. I, I, so, so one one battle episode happens, and the Night King dies, and all of a sudden we're like, you know what? Happy ending. No, not a happy ending because Tyrion's still, still going to get torched. All our fa- okay. This is the this is the dream casting I came up with. Davos for the Stormlands, Sansa for the North, Brienne for Dorne, and etc. I don't know. Sam in the Reach. <laughs> Sam gets to have Horn Hall, right? So he's in the Reach. Robin for Vale. Robin for the Vale. Yara for the Iron Islands, and then Danny and John for the the Rock. What if the, what if Jamie lands. and Brienne get Casterly Rock? I don't think Jamie's surviving this year. You don't think so? Okay. Well, what if Brienne um, gets it? Uh, sure, sure. She's blonde. It's great. Um, so um, so we have a royal council and a royal council of our faves who all together have to decide to assassinate or execute rather Tyrion. That's a bittersweet ending, right? So democracy comes to Westeros, but also Tyrion dies. Immediately kills Tyrion. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a, that's a good and dark and twisted ending. Twisted. Cersei has to die at some point. I believe there's some kind of faceless man invo- mission involving Arya. It's not just, I think there's like the Battle for King's Landing. Um, well, I, God, her and Sansa were wearing the same shirt in the behind the things. Yeah. So why is Sansa down in King's what Landing? If, what well, if when John goes down, Arya goes too. Maybe. Sure. Mm. Maybe Cersei's dead. I don't know. Um, maybe Littlefinger comes with him. Stop. <laughs> Never. I can't. I can't. Um, but, uh. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. My heart stopped. That still is, okay, that still me. is a question. Sansa Arya. Which is how much, how many, how many people know about the Littlefinger thing? Everyone was in that room. Yeah. Chatty ass Jan Royce is in that room. But he who's told telling Cersei? everyone. Jan. Jan's like, Jan blogged about it. Gossipy He's like, Jan. LOL. Um, <laughs> he's like the battles going on outside. He's like sending ravens. Oh yeah, because we didn't we didn't see Bronze Yawn out on the battlefield in this episode, did we? We also no. didn't see him in the crypts. <laughs> uh, no, he was polishing his breastplate, if that's what you want to call it. So, um, so uh, yeah, so that gives us like a fairly a decent shape. I think there's some sort of mission involving Sansa and Arya and Gendry. I want to say like a, a, a assassinate Cersei mission that they're on. Uh, Tyrion blows it up. Oh, and oh shit! That's what Neil. Okay, so Neil, yeah. you were saying that Davos saw what Arya could do. Yeah, Davos and Gendry could get Arya through the cheap parts of King's He's Landing. He's a smuggler. Oh, yeah. get him, get her in mm-hmm. during the battle. The, yeah, they know the their way around the that city. Gendry yeah, Davos will once again survive a battle by just not being part just of it. Just darting through Jin Alley. I mean, the question is, though, can we allow... I'm all for Arya killing the Night King. I don't think Arya then gets to kill Cersei, too. I don't know. That feels like a lot. I like. I love the idea of Sansa killing Cersei. I love that, actually. Um, yeah. I just don't want it to be Jaime, because like I said before, I think that is an unhealthy thing for him to do, and I want him to be <laughs> healthy. Do you think when Jamie dies, Cersei will be able to see him? Uh, like from yeah. a perch or something? Like he'll yeah. be he'll be rushing to the Red Keep or something, and he'll get killed in front of her. I mean, I like the idea of Tyrion blowing Jamie up by accident. 
<laughs> that's that too. <laughs> I do think there's like a if you think about it, and I I hope they don't use the same trick twice. But the distraction trick, which is like Cersei's watching Jamie die, or Cersei's watching Tyrion blow up Jamie, and it causes her to pause for a second, and that's when mm. she gets killed. But that still doesn't make sense because the mountain's still there and the hound's got to... Oh, man, the hound and Sansa and Arya and Gendry they're gonna, uh, being they're smuggled gonna, in by Davos. Yeah, they're gonna, Great stuff. They're going to do a... I'm pretty sure, they're, I'm pretty sure Click Bull's back on the menu, boys. Click Bull is very yeah, much on the menu. Definitely yeah. back on the menu. Did you not hear my song on the From the, the showrunners who have never listened to anything fans have ever said. <laughs> oh, here's another ever. thing. Comes here's Clegane another Bull. thing since we're like safely in the storm. Um, I'm, tr- I'm trying to be diplomatic about James Hibbert because I think it's poor, a poor form for me to just trash talk a, a colleague. Um, so I've, I've, I've tried to be as diplomatic as I can be, but he has a line in an article this week where he said, there have been no shots released from the black boxed back half of the season. The shot of Daenerys at Dragonstone is definitely from the back half of the season. That was in a trailer. The shot of Tyrion in the season eight trailer where he's looking up, I think, at a dragon, uh, has not been shown on, on screen yet. So I think that's Tyrion's death, uh, that we're looking at. And in which case, my most charitable explanation is that Hibbard is, uh, mistaken, but, um, I think he might be prevaricating and I don't, uh, appreciate that. So, because he speaks, surprise, you can't trust entertainment. He <laughs> speaks with authority because he has all this access. So he has this authority. And so I just, I, I think James is a good person, but I wish that he would be a little bit more responsible with that authoritative voice that he has given the access that he has. And it's just yeah, simply well, untrue that we haven't seen shots. We haven't seen many. We've seen hardly any. That's true, but not, no, not none. You know? Yeah, and I think what you're what you're really getting at is that there's there is a real difference between holding things back and not saying things like what we do in the calm, yeah. which is we don't say the things that we know, but uh, to then sort of be part of the counter information yeah. machine is not great. Um, and also, me, this is one of the things I've been railing against. This is not specific to uh, Mr. Hibbert or his uh, publication. Is is I'm really happy that we're very honest about what we know about spoilers because it makes my theories better and worse. Um, but it feels honest. And I feel like there is a lot going around this year about with like theories, people saying these are my theories, but they're really like digging through Reddit. Uh, oh, yeah. So, you know, if the ter- if the don't do that stuff, if you're in a position to do that. <laughs> the Tyrion stuff is all over the place. And like, it's, it's a, it's a fine line to walk. Like, I, I walk it sometimes on VF. Sorry, this is inside baseball of an already long episode, but like, I walk it sometimes on VF where I try to highlight things to be like, hmm, maybe pay attention to this. And the reason I'm highlighting it is because I know it's going to be important later. You know what I mean? So like, hmm, maybe pay attention to this, but I'm never like, I came up with a theory. <laughs> Tyrion's role as a king landing. I I just came up with it all on my own. Um, I think that's yeah. I think that's super (laughs) dishonest. Um, I was seeing it a lot last year with the when there was like leaks early on in the season that Viserion was going to be turned into a zombie or ice dragon. Just all this stuff about like I got a theory. What if one of the dragons is turned into a zombie? I was like, you can't call it a theory if it's a spoiler. (laughs) I got a spoiler. One of the you know. So it's just yeah. Anyway. 
Anyway, good job, us. I feel pretty yeah, good about we're it. We're perfect. We're just we're doing good <laughs> at at the seven hour mark of this podcast. Yep. All right, I'm gonna call it there because we will have more information by this time next week, and we'll spend an equal amount of time, I imagine, trying to figure out what that battle episode's going to look like. Neil, what are we up to next week? Well, Dave, as you know, we're talking about episode four, still to be untitled, episode seventy-one of 73 uh we get to see the aftermath and uh ghost will be there so that's great uh also if you've made it this far and you're still with us don't forget patreon.com slash storm of spoilers we have one more podcast to do this week if you can believe we have more to say this one will be answering questions specifically from our small council so join up on patreon join the small council you will get all of the information and then you will get the podcast too so it's great Mm-hmm. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Please do not fall down. Baby, that's right.